I got love for you, man. You know what, I'm <laughs> what are we talking about? You know, I'm not here to start any trouble. I'm only going to say nice things about you from now on. I think you're handsome, and I think you're a wonderful host. I'm fat and I'm overweight. Just don't say anything silly. I was waiting for you to say that. I'm not laughing about it. You think this is funny? I take this serious. You know, I don't want y'all to take anything that, out of context that I'm saying. He's very funny. He likes to joke around a lot. As a personality and as an entertainer, yes. This is going to be really quick. I'm not taking any questions. Go ahead and get comfortable. I'm going to talk for a little bit. You're listening to Cabbie Presents, the podcast. Welcome, 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 welcome. I'm your host, Cabbie Richards, and thank you for spending some time with me. Apologies uh, for the strain in my voice. The weather in the city has been like hot and cold, and with the AC that's on in my house, the change in temperature has affected the sound of my voice. So... I apologize that it sounds a little strained. This conversation that you're about to hear was recorded over the weekend because my dude's travel schedule is super tight and we found a small window to discuss a bunch of things relating to music. This is a pop culture podcast for those who are just discovering it now for the first time or have heard a few episodes. So it's a blend of sports and music and movies and TV and fashion, all these things. And I hope this blend continues to entertain you. You with your headphones on or you in your car. I never knew the extent of my guest's musical encyclopedic knowledge. In fact, I wasn't even sure how many instruments he can play until now, which is impressive considering to some people he's just a rapper. To other people he's a hybrid, a rapper slash singer. After this, to you you'll recognize him as an undeniable musical talent that writes, sings, raps, produces, and plays an assortment of instruments. He's a true artist. And he joins me in the studio right now. If it's going to be an interview, I'm going to conduct it. So I'll answer my own questions, ask myself the questions, then give y'all the answers. He first arrived on the scene to the masses rhythmically, sonically, and rebelliously ironic because his debut album when he arrived was called Exit back in 2002. The amount of critical acclaim that was thrust upon him was similar in size and volume to politicians shoveling massive amounts of horse bleep <laughs> down our throats. It was the, the, and the only relation between the two is that it was a lot. Uh, Chaos is one of the most ambitious artists of our time, while others bask in the limelight of their packaged celebrity chaos, has a guitar in his hand, playing music on a stage somewhere, oh, uh, honing and creating original music. I am pleased to be welcomed by the artist, Chaos, in the studio. Thank you for coming, man. Oh, man, that's a, that's a crazy... Thank you for that intro. That was amazing. Anytime, dude. <laughs> Anytime. Uh, congratulations on studio album number five, entitled Black on Blonde. Uh, which is available right now. And if you want to follow his life on Twitter, it's at Chaos Inception, K-O-S, and the word Inception, all one word, Chaos Inception. Dude, why do you only follow one person on Twitter? And well, then and then tell who the person is on Twitter I, that you I follow. Know the, 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 why do you only follow Justin Bieber? That's the question. <laughs> that is the question. Uh, you can learn from the children, man. I feel <laughs> I feel like he has a... You know, actually, I started following him when there was a lot of negative press because I felt... 
he's a child. And I felt like, I don't know, I'm an older brother. I'm the first of three boys. Ah, and okay. I, 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 I sometimes get protective when I see someone doing really well, but people trying to sort of take stabs at that or jealousy or overly critical. Let the kid be a kid. The thing about it is everyone's like, child stars are messed up. They always do this, but we're the people that mess them up. Because we build them up and they tear them down. Yeah, and they're only 19 years old and every kid should be allowed to make a certain type of mistake as he goes into puberty. I think he's 19 (laughs) and I think everybody who has kids out there, your kids are going to do some crazy things and it's going to be kept in the household and maybe only mom knows or dad knows, but in his case, the world knows. So I kind of would start tweeting at him and like just publicly say things to sort of you know, just to support him a little bit because I've also been in the, you know, made some mistakes, you know, in the spotlight and it's nice when somebody genuinely gets that and tries to, and he said, and he also has a really good relationship with his fans that I learned from. I love how he, you know, talks really? to them. Yeah, I think he, I think he. No, I, no, I, I know that he has a great relationship with his fans, but something that, that you learned. Oh, for sure. From we, Bieber. Well, you know what, the thing about my, my hip hop roots is like, you're not on anyone's jock, you know. Chris Karras one used to say the sixth element of hip hop is the fan who raps. So I grew up not really being a super fan of anyone. I'd, so when people were fans of me, I didn't understand. Can I have a picture? No. You know, can I, you know, can I, I, they want to talk to me in the street, I keep walking. And people used to think that was like, my label was like, you're the anti-rock star. But I just, I hadn't been a fan of anyone in that way to know how to relate to them. So... I learn a lot from him because I, I know that he's probably aware of the whole game of it, but he's very gracious and very intelligent the way that he speaks. If it's really him on Twitter, I think it is. I think but, it is too. And I think that he's he has a great rapport and it's there's an innocence in that. You go you grow older, you get jaded and you start thinking about, you know, these people like me for me and all these questions, but sometimes it's just to best to look at kids and see how they roll with it and you can learn a lot. I'm sure parents out there know that too. Your kids will teach you things that you forgot. How does a parent forget that he was a kid? How does a young young guy who just wants a record deal all of a sudden forget what it's like to speak to fans or never learn right right so wait you okay so you said it's interesting when when people were showering you with praise like just strangers you shunned it like you like you i don't know that i guess well i think canada is an interesting place because people here there's no real star system and you and i both know this that in america it's okay to lose your mind over a celebrity or walk down the street and beg someone. But Canadians will be like, you're on the street corner of Queen and Young and some dudes from like Western or who are here for the weekend like, crab bucket! You know what I mean? It's right. a different <laughs> it's a different situation. Or people, yeah. you know, they come up to you, oh, are you Will I Am? Oh, I just said that to get an intro. I really like your music. It's a different kind of like, they respect you, but they don't really like look at you like, oh, wow. So my response was like, all right, all right, that's cool. I won't look at you at oh, wow, and I'll just keep it moving. I'm not going to like be a clown on the corner my dad was always like don't clown yourself you know so I really took that seriously maybe too much and I couldn't really laugh at myself but over has the that years, changed now it has because as you get older and you know it, you mature you start to realize that people care you know I was just walking from a here from the hotel and I saw these kids on the corner and they're just smiling I'm crossing a crosswalk smiling and then they went to talk to me and the guy's like, oh, I really respect your music. And maybe four years ago, I would have been like, thanks, and just been the super cool dude. But I was like, yo, I gave them a pound and I was like, wow. It's like, you start to appreciate it more because you've gotten over a lot of the things that you first get into in the music industry. You, you, like, what are, what are those things that you've gotten over? Like, what are uh, you know, you won't like me in a year. What if I switch up my style? Will you still be a fan? You know, you don't know me. I don't owe you anything. If I stop and talk to you, then more people start talking 
talking to me. You're just the ego. You're just you're just like you are the kryptonite of ego. You're like you're walking down the street and it's just coming off of you. I know a lot of people like this and I can only speak for myself, but I think your ego is just you just don't know how to deal with people constantly you know, coming at you all the time. It's not a natural human experience for people in the room to focus only on one person. It's not how That's you, true. you're raised. True. There's no class in school to say, you're going to be a musician and you're going to walk in a room and people are going to react to your fame. Some people will love you and some people will just shun you because that's their response. You're not taught that. So a lot of it is a lot of learning along the way. And uh, you, a lot of it, you know, you kind of just have to fake it till you make it and pretend. But as you get over that and, and find a natural kind of like groove in it, you start to realize that it's just it is what it is and you just have to like accept the fact that you're 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 a civil servant you make music people like it and when they stop you on the street you've put yourself out there so you owe it to them to sort of be like what's up you know you don't want to get too creepy but you know you kind of owe <laughs> I'm it creepy. To, yeah you don't want to owe it you don't want to you don't want to you don't want to like you know you don't want to like offend people or it's one simple thing you know work hard and be nice okay a do you, have you become like a master of small talk and b like how do you make sure that it's not awkward for either one of you? All right, well, that, that answer goes in two questions. First of all, I've been to the club with this dude, dude Cabby, and people roll up to him all the time. So you know the answer to this question because you're kind yeah. of a mini celebrity. No, 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 but that, but it's not for me. No, it's not, uh, it's so not my said, experience. So I, want, I, said, I want to know your so experience. I said mini. You're actually a really big celebrity. No, I'm, I'm neither. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing I'm about, fat. Hey, I'm like, like oh, fat, yes. Yeah. The, the Canadian self-deprecating. Right there. Like, see, I used to do it too. You jump right to it. It's good. <laughs> but you know what? But but it, it's it's... You know, that wasn't a diss at all. This I'm just saying sometimes the most insightful questions come from experience. I'll leave it at that. And I'll say that, you know, first of all, uh, you know. The Chuck, awkwardness in the small talk. Well, Chuck D said to me one time, who's a friend of mine from Public Enemy, he said, what you perceive as someone's five minutes is maybe something they're going to know of you for the rest of their life. So make that five minutes right. for them the best you can. And I was like, what are you talking He's like, you will see someone for two minutes coming out the mall or on the street and they'll, if they choose to, in your society, hail you out and go chaos, this, that, and the third, that whatever time you spend with them, you might never see them again. And that's all they have. For you, you might go through a series of those experiences all day. So it gets kind of trying. You're like, it starts to mean less, da, 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 da. But what you have to do is make sure that the, the, the time you give them, that they can look back on it 10 years from now, five years from now, and be like, that guy liked his music. I bought his CDs or downloaded or whatever. And when I saw him for that two minutes, he was actually the dude that I actually respect in, 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 in the music. And so that's how I deal with the, 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 the as you started the question, the small, you want to give people a good impression. The small talk thing, I'm not, I'm, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the anti, if someone's going to get a conversation with me, it's going to go, I'm going to go in. You know what I mean? So <laughs> like I'm, your editor, okay, well, which we'll get to the Ottawa Senators thing. Yeah. But, well, but okay, but see, please continue. Yeah, it's like, I don't really, I'm not a small talk guy. It's like, again, I, I keep name dropping because my dudes who hold me down, Sam Roberts is another guy that's a good friend of mine and, in the early stages he would talk about girls and he was just like you know i go i never see you with girls i know he's had a girlfriend since grade seven he's now married to her so this is good pr at the same time but it's for real that <laughs> no, but kid, i want to i actually want to hear the story kid, i want to hear the dirt the, the kid is for real and he was like i can't take the small talk he's like i've you know certain experiences has happened and i've talked to girls and then you start talking he's like i'm a d i can't deal with someone and it's a quick exchange so i think it goes in all 
realms, not just with girls. It goes across the board. It's like if I'm going to sit and walk and come down here on this sunny afternoon and talk with you, we're going to have a conversation. Yeah. That's just what I, you know, rappers, we have 16 bar conversations, one way conversations for a living. Right. No one's ever going to interrupt Jay-Z on his verse. We just, <laughs> we get paid to speak at you. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like when someone comes up to me and they, if, if someone does come up to me, I find usually in Canada, it is an intelligent I hardly do knucklehead people come out to me and be like, yo, what are you wearing right now? Or, you know, as Red One from the Rascals said, what kind of chain is that? You know, th- that, those questions don't come at me just from what I project and who I am. That all people are always asking something, what did you mean in this song? Or are you going to do another record with Socrates? Or what? People ask cool questions. So as long as I, you are, if you are what you eat, then I have to say that you are what you produce musically too. And if you put a vibe out there as someone that's intelligent, people will ask you intelligent questions and you know quiet is kept artists that's another good reason to be put a message out there or be intel try to be have some have fun but put some intelligence out there because what you get back are is intelligent people coming up to you it's it's a it's a it's kind of like a simple rule right that I, well that, that's not always the case but i mean it's it's a nice it sounds it sounds nice i mean but you know maybe you're well maybe well, you're right because our our, our, our 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 beings are different i'm like i'm like uh like a on TV, I'm kind of like uh, everybody's buddy, and I'm like that stupid friend that just says and does dumb things. Right. So then I will get those kind of people <laughs> acknowledging me. I mean, that's fine because those are my people. Those are my that's my constituency. Or you know, and, some people just you know, one rapper said to me one time he got robbed and he called me. Who's the rapper? I'm not gonna say who. It say is, his name. But he said to me, he goes, you know, and we had this conversation. He called me. It was like early in the morning, and he said, "What is this?" And I said, "You know what? People are gonna find many ways to respond to your fame." Some people, girls are going to like you. Why can't you say his name? You just said Sam Roberts' name and Chuck D's name. Little kids. And Justin Bieber. Little kids. Little kids will say this. I go, you know what? This is just one way people are going to respond to your fame. And sometimes people need an excuse to respond to that that way to somebody. So you're saying you're the dumb knucklehead friend, but if someone's had a couple drinks and it's all cabby, there he is, and they feel they can speak to you in that state of mind because... Well, they do. Yeah. (laughs) They do. (laughs) I'm probably in the same state of mind. And you know what? It's, It's like my dad used to say. Dad, this happened in the early years. He's like, well, go busk then. No one told you to go on television and <laughs> go on stage. Just play and go home. Make a couple cents and a couple loonies and go home. <laughs> All right, Dad. You know, it's like he's, he always is with the busking comment. Then right. busk. Then you can't complain. He's like, you put on the outfit. You put on the uniform. You go do this. You cannot complain. You're getting to do what you love to do. It's a job, though, son. You're, this is your job. So it's the same thing. I feel like if we look at it that way, then, and all this, you know, could just be bs to someone listening because when you first get into it you don't have the experience to back that up you just don't have the girth of like trying something trying something failing trying something you hear negative stuff i was trying to be a nice guy why are these people being negative and so you start to slowly figure it out that what you think is the way to act as when you care as one says you know sometimes you got to just do what works and not was what's positive you got to do what works everyone's we come from the era of hip-hop be the positive do keep it real you know sometimes you gotta just keep it right and keep mm. it, do what works. And that's positive because it works. As opposed to the thing that you read in a textbook or your favorite rapper said in a source magazine when you're 18, you hold on to that and you try to be that. You got to do what, you know, works for you kind of, you know? Kev, who's the guy? Who's the guy that called you? Who got robbed? <laughs> no, we're not going to go in. Come on, Kev. It's not just... a positive circumstance. I should have just said a person. I shouldn't have said a rapper. But you know what I mean? I'm saying rapper because people do respond like that to people. They they see you on television. You got your, your little thing and you're rising up. and then. But this is just you and I talking. We're in a a small little sound sound well, yeah but we're not and <laughs> <laughs> 
there are uh, a few uh, tens of thousands of people that right. listen to this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, all right, fine. I'll let you. Okay, so you. Okay, a couple, a couple things. I want to go into. Uh, okay, you mentioned you, you, you're three boys. I grew up in a house. Right. And uh, and you, you, you grew up in in Pickering or, well, or well, Whitby. I, I was born in Whitby, Ontario, and I stayed there till I was in grade four. Then my dad, who's Trinidadian, and my mom's Trinidadian as well. My mom's Trinidadian. No doubt about it. We, my mom's from Lavantel, actually, like. The really, really crazy part of Trinidad. See, my mom's from Pitti Valley. They, She's from close to Dago Martin. It took like maybe it's like a ten minute taxi, or nobody really takes taxis, but uh, Maxi Taxi. They, they, uh, they uh, ten minutes to, to Dago Martin, which is the capital city of. Uh, there you go. Of uh, no, 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 Port-au-Prince. Sorry, Port-a-Prince. ten minutes to Port- Port-au-Prince. Port-a-Prince Port-a-Prince, excuse Spain. Me. Port-a-Spain. Come on, you're Port-a-Prince not Haiti. is Haiti. Oh my gosh. And Port-a-Spain. I'm not Whitecliff, and you're not from Haiti. <laughs> okay, so let's not. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. But okay, so the thing. Then okay. I lived there too. I just saying to bring that up. I spent. You also moved to lived in Trinidad from grade four to grade eight. And then uh, I came back and I lived in... Did you have an accent when you came back? Yeah, because I, I tried to talk to this girl who I liked when I was in grade whatever. She's like, you sound different. You know, it's <laughs> like, why? Because I was talking like this. And, then, uh, but, and you can still hear it in all, all of us, all of us, Cardi, all, you'll hear, right. the, you hear the accent. But I mean, it's like, uh, and then I, I moved, I went to a school called Valley Park Junior High, which is people call Flemington Park. I lived there for a year and a half. My mom didn't like that area, so we moved back to, to Whitby, the ah, suburbs, okay. and then I spent my whole high school in Whitby. So I moved around a bit. So I've had a, a couple experiences as far as a hip-hop reality. I've seen a couple of things in different neighborhoods to kind of relate to it, but I will call myself a Volvo-driving, polo-wearing, Whitby, Ontario, Anderson Collegiate kid <laughs> that used to listen to <laughs> Susie and the Banshees and you 2 and that's my thing. Okay, yeah. so there's so many things I want to get to. Okay, so one, okay, remind me to get to this. Are you going to the Rolling Stones concert tonight? I am. Okay, so that's one. Okay, so one. But the the thing, okay, so three brothers. I also grew up with three boys in the house. Right. My dad's from Jamaica, mom's from Trinidad. Right. So there's just so much friggin' noise that's, in that's, the house. That's that that doesn't happen. Oh my gosh. Okay, apparently it, there's a huge rivalry, but oh. yo, not with your parents. So that explains No, you well, a lot. there yeah. there, kind of, there was, but I I want to so okay, so for th- there are, so a quarter of the audience that listens to the, this podcast there are Americans. Right. So they they may not understand. So for some reason, and I and I and I asked my uncle Llewellyn, who's who training. I'm like, I don't know why there's a rivalry between people from Jamaica and people from Trinidad. I don't know what it's. I, or, I know do you why. Know the, do you I know, know the origin? Why? why? Well, you guys stole. Who's you guys? Well, Jamaicans stole Calypso from Trinidadians. Yeah, but See, Jamaicans like, are reggae though. No, but that's reggae. And they, they but here's the to, thing. Okay. Here's what my uncle said. So this is what happened. We have Calypso. If you listen to Calypso bass line, it goes like this. Those Jamaicans smoke the weed and they slow it down. That's the explanation that my uncle, who's a bass player, says. Was he drinking Red Stripe I think what I think I think what they're saying is we're very upbeat. Happy Calypso. We're very Trinidadians are South Americans. We're right next to Venezuela. Right, of course. Our culture is very, and Jamaica is very West African. I've been to West Africa. I've tasted the food there. I saw Jamaican when I went to West Africa, Ghana. I saw how much Jamaica was like Ghana. It is the, Jamaica is the, the most African island in the West Indies. So there's that little rivalry too. They're they're kind of blacker than us, and they're a little bit more rude. Like, more hardcore, cooler. They are more harsher. Yeah, like, Trinidadians are always like, a, let's have a good time, drink a beer, free up yourself. Jamaicans are like, what? You yes. Know, it's kind of yeah, like yeah. the difference between someone from, like, you know, leaders of the new school and, like, you know, 
you know, Mob Deep. It's like Queens in Brooklyn, you know, Queens in Staten Island. It's just little differences. It's not that one is better or worse. The reality of one reality is a little bit tougher, and sometimes those groups of people don't really connect always on the same level. But when you when you throw all that away, everyone's from New York. And when you throw all that away, <laughs> we're all from the West Indies. Anyway, that's, that's right. a whole different that, topic. It's a whole different no, topic. no, but I like it. I like yeah. it. I like, I like where you went with it. Um, so, okay, so growing up in the house, what was the music that was played in your house? Uh, or were your parents like super religious where there was no music in well, the house? Well, here's the thing. My parents are Jehovah's Witnesses. My dad's a minister. Oh, my God. Okay. I'm a minister or, or elder or what you call it. He was a ministerial servant and then he became an elder, which is like kind of like a reverend. Um, I grew up in that from day one, uh, but my dad also played steel pan, and my mom is the is a, is a sister and the, the the sister of someone named Rudolph Charles in Trinidad, and he created what you call the quadraphonic steel pan. So my uncle used to make steel pans. He used to dip it in chrome. Oh, nice! And created a whole culture out of that, and he was he was kind of a legend in that way. So my parents are very musical people. So even though they were like church three times a week, no Christmas, no Halloween, right? No my, birthdays, no celebrate. birthdays. No but yeah. my dad sure had like you know Led Zeppelin records though. Really? He sure had. He sure had. I remember look. I remember distinctly going through his records when I was. A, a kid and seeing these three records or four records in a row. It was a it was a Linda Ronstadt mm-hmm. record. It was a Olivia Newton John record, like a Miles David Davis Bitches Brew record, and then like a like I think a Led Zeppelin or a Cream record, right. all back to back in his record collection. Wow. So the message was everything is cool. Like but you, the, but did he, but was that music played in the house though? I think he just you know guys in the seventies they had massive record collections. Mm-hmm. Pete Rock, all these guys, our whole generation of the best producers in hip hop, overtook their father's record collections, and that's where all the great samples came from. I was another example of that, where I became a producer and kids at an early age when I first come to Toronto and hook up with like the Grassroots and Cardi and Socks, they'd be like, "What record is that? Where'd you get those records? My dad's records." So records were very important. To, to my dad and you know he used to guy you know they'd drink their Labatt 50 and, <laughs> you know they'd, they'd old st- Vienna yeah they'd sit around and like clean the record with the record clean thing and yeah blow on it and put yeah, it over dude. and like it was a culture and they're all sitting there just listening to a jazz record and I was like my dad's holding onto my dad's leg looking at all this go on going this is kind of a ritual for these guys this is not just dudes like nodding their head smoking a blunt this is like dudes listening and talking about the time signature and like you hear that part and, da, da, da. and there was like dudes listening to music together so i come from that culture and that's why i think regardless of my religious upbringing my calypso would go down my dad would pull out a, a 19 whatever panorama tape with 10 <laughs> 10 10 steel bands playing back to back and then he would go play a you know a mo kaufman a ma jamal or you know you know Bob James record right after. So we ha- so we have a we have a, a similar experience because my pops and I, I I probably have told this on on the radio before, uh, but my dad uh, was a DJ and that's and he used to throw parties at U of T. My 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 parents they met at U of T, or University of Toronto. Amazing. And Amazing. um and my dad used to throw parties and that's how he would make you know his walk around money and make you know his his money for books and all that sort of thing. And so he had a, a partner and his partner. Uh, is he went by Detroit Disco, and he, he my dad's like he played the baddest funk of that era, like the the mid the the early early seventies mid seventies, and then my pops would slow it down with the soul music, and when I was younger, I would get like you, I would go through my dad's records and see all this vinyl, and I would see the Commodores, I would see Aretha Franklin, I would see. Um, yeah, uh, you know it, the, all the all the mo the mo. Do you remember the Motown labels used to be yeah, purple? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. And beautiful. then and so so my dad um, would uh, 
he, you know, he would write on the label of the records uh, his name, and his name was the Soul Defender. So it was Sick. Detroit Disco and the Soul, Soul Defender. Defender. And I'm sure back then, I was like, well, Dad, how did, like, what did you charge for your parties? And he goes, it cost a dollar to get in. It was a dollar for a beer, a dollar for, a, a, like, a, a, a soda, and 50 cents for our juice. <laughs> and amazing. I started, I was like, I was like, this is amazing. But, but, so we. Same culture. Same, yeah. Same culture. So, and then my, and you said, uh, talk about a ritual. My dad's ritual was every Saturday he would make a, a mixtape. So he'd be out there, two turntables, and then he would be writing on those Maxell cassettes. I can see, I can see the homemade speakers right now. Oh, my gosh. And the and wood, you know, and and the wood the box, paneling. The, box the wood speakers. paneling. Yeah, the wood man. Paneling, yeah. So every Saturday he would make a mixtape. And then, the, and then the, the songs were diverse. Like the first time I heard David Bowie was, was the Let's Dance record. And like, and it, it's not one of his famous songs, but no it was like an 11-minute song or whatever, and that would go on there. My dad would have like Stevie Winwood. He got into Peter Gabriel. Like it was, it was really diverse. And then it was like you know Bob Marley, Barrington Levy, or um, uh, no, um, Barris Hammond. Come on. You know there, there's uh, not Barrington Levy, but it, it's uh, there's okay, but okay. So in so in the house, so you would have those that informed your musical. Same as you. It was like it was like everything. Everything that my dad, and we all know how boys look up to their father, so if it was okay that my dad had it in his collection, then I was okay to sort of seek it out and learn from it. So, you know, when people say... Are your brothers also as musical as you inclined? Uh, uh, my, both of them are. My my youngest brother is like a, 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 a hardcore dread, you know, and he's a farmer in northern Ontario. So. Oh, he is a, a reggae man, but he also loves hip hop to the bone. He's a hip hop. He's the first guy that played me Biggie. He came in my room with the tape. As a but kid. he's younger than you. He's younger than me, and he was like. But how yeah. does he discover Biggie before you? Because I, you know, I was listening to like, you know, you know. This must be about like ninety, Bauhaus, ninety-two. Bauhaus. Yeah, I was listening to like whatever. I was like on my trip in the suburbs trying to get close to rock and roll because I knew as a kid. So wanted, was that like Nirvana, Pearl yeah, Jam, yeah. that sort of I, that, I, that era, and also a lot of new wave that. Uh, maybe wasn't popular at the time, but the girl that I liked across the street, Laura Minkinski, was a punk. <laughs> and so I used to go into her bedroom and she'd play me all this stuff like, you know, Bauhaus and like, you know, early New Order and just stuff that wow, okay. I would never, you know. So while I was on that trip chasing that girl and trying to learn about that culture, my little brother and, and my other brother too, who was, you know, he went to Western Michigan on a scholarship. He's a for what? He's, scholarship a, for he's what? a track. He's a track dude, and he in his last year he played football. Great four point oh, great point average, you know, and just like a, a, a financial dude. And now he's a personal trainer as well as like wow. an accountant. But he was like a hip hop fiend. He was in America, and he was he ended up like moving to Atlanta and, and living with Otis Santiago, who I went to OJ, OJ Santiago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We who went played to Alta for, High School together. Oh right, so, he played for the Atlanta Falcons yeah, for a long time. That's my homie, and my right. brother. My brother lived with him. My brother, my, he called out my brother after university to come and do financial stuff with him. So my brother was, that's where he met his wife. My brother lives in Atlanta with his wife. Um, he, he would be like, you're not on this. You know, him and OJ would be like, you're so behind, you know. <laughs> they were like the Canadian dudes in Atlanta trying to win Atlanta, when, you know, outcasts and when like that yeah. stuff really just started to, to jump off. Right, right, they right. Were like, they were like the dudes who were like bringing it back to Canada and being like, yo, you don't know, you know, they looked at me differently, sort of like, we're blacker, you know. So I've, my brothers have informed my reality because if my one brother, Andrew, is feeling what I'm doing, I know that it's a good vibe for an American dude. 
and what he might feel. And when my littlest brother, who's super conscious and, you know, you cut your hair and he's like mad at me and like, you know, really, really, really spiritual dude, when he's still feeling me, I know that's a good temperature for a fan of the music that although I might kind of, you know, blur lines between what is, you know, conscious and not, he's still feeling it. So I've, my brothers have really informed me. It's We're all from the same, you know, tribe. So my dad... We all interpreted my dad's love for music differently. Even take your dad someone. What like what were some of the things that he used to say? Did your dad ever have like a, a one particular like a catchphrase like, like uh, like a thing about either about discipline or like about you know about rules in the house? Like there was always like a thing like you know, like I don't know. I feel like parents no, well, would always repeat themselves. They'd say one. One or two things. It was like their their that their slogan or the thing that they're trying to beat beat into your head. Well, my you see the thing about it is when you go to you know church three times a week and your dad's oh, up there. Okay, right. He that's really where the sermon starts. But my dad, the two experiences I have them of my dad that I remember distinctly is um, him taking my car one day. I had a like a, a Volkswagen Rabbit and he jumped in it because he had to go to the store and. He went in there, and then when he came back, he was gone for about, like, 30 minutes. And he's like, yeah, right. He didn't say nothing. He just walked right by me in his track pants with his whatever bag he, he got from the electrical <laughs> store. And then I went into the car later in the afternoon to go meet some friends, and I look for my tribe tape. It's not in there. I look for my this tape, Public Enemy. I got home. I was like, Dad, where am I? He's like, I, would, I put the tape in the tape recorder. And every time I hear a cuss word, I threw it out the window. Oh, my God. <laughs> I go, I go uh, why? Do I swear in here? Do you hear any curse words in here? No, Daddy. Why are you listening to them fellas talking? You don't need to talk. If you're, if you're true to what you are saying, you don't need to cuss the people. Every time I go in that car, if there's a cassette with, with cursing, it's going out the window. <laughs> <laughs> That's my. That was my. That was Half my. Of your tape collection yeah, tell, is somewhere on the four hundred one. Yeah, tell Tipper Gore and all these censor people. That's the West Indian way of censoring your kids. <laughs> you know, not a sticker. Just throwing the music throwing out the, the window. window, right? And the second thing was after I got a record deal. At the time, my manager was a dude called Saul Guy. He went on to manage Canaan, and he was also managed the Rascals. If you guys remember them back in the day, right? He of he, he 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 parlayed a situation for me. We ended up playing for Capitol Records in California at the Capitol building and I got a record deal like upon playing with them they called him like you know an hour later and said we're gonna offer this guy a deal it was kind of like a storybook case like the like that iconic Capitol building that, on yeah, that I, little I, that hill yeah, there I ended up that always gets destroyed in the disaster movies yeah, yeah 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 and like I ended up freestyling in the room and like you know talking about the Frank Sinatra posters on the wall and all this the Beastie Boys so we got a record deal and I called my dad the next morning I'm like dad dad he picked up the phone I'm like so it happened Everything you were saying about it being so hard, I got a record deal, Capitol Records, they're going to sign me in America. Silence on the phone. I'm like, yeah, I did it. Oh, so you get the job. <laughs> <laughs> These are the two experience. This is my father. He's just a very real dude, and he just always kept me, to this day, anything that I say or the way I say these sayings, you know, you, you know what you do in the dark at night comes out in the morning light. All these, some of these courses of my songs are my things my parents would say. Amazing. I, I would get home and my my mom would be like, I get home at three in the morning and she would just, you know, I'd hear slippers and she's like, hmm. I'm like, what's up? She's like, where were you last night? Oh, I just went here. She's like, hmm. Just remember what you do in the dark at night comes out in the morning light. <laughs> you know, and that's it. And they're done. That's it. Just uh, one word, one sentence, and you're all day reeling. What did I do? What did I do? Right, right. So, the, you know, very religious, spiritual people, but also not a lot of words, as you say, West Indians sometimes. If the shorter they can tell you something is the quicker 
that it has impact because they don't want to spend the whole time of the leave it to beaver speech <laughs> in the bedroom and like yeah well you know son you know it's not about that it's my like, dad would give very short lectures yeah. and then at the end of his lecture he would say that's the end of my lecture that's it yeah and it's and, and then it sometimes it would come with a smack in the face i'm in uh studio with uh with chaos uh, recording artist chaos uh, on on Twitter, it's at Chaos Inception. Now you are going to see the Rolling Stones tonight. I am. How did you uh, get tickets for that? A friend of mine who is a very wealthy individual uh, said he had a box, and I, I, he I, he was just checking up on me. He says, "Where are you going to be next week?" He asked like very random questions. Are you going to be in Toronto? What about the twenty fifth? What are you doing that night? Do you have any? He asked me like four or five questions before he could say, "Okay, well, I got this box. I got these boxes." Sick. So have you seen the Rolling Stones before? Never, ever in my life. And you know what's sad is that um, I'm 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 a bigger Beatles fan. I'm a bigger Police fan, so I don't mind seeing the Rolling Stones do their thing. I had Police front row tickets when the Police did their tour three or four years ago, and I gave them away because I was a fan since a child, and I didn't want to go see the new. I didn't. Want, I would have loved to see them in their prime. I didn't want to in see, like the early '80s. I, I just said, you know what? I want the the memories of the police to be in my brain as a kid watching them on MTV. And I don't need, don't need to see fifty year old men playing their old songs. But with the Rolling Stones, I don't really own them like that. So I'm super excited tonight. Just because I know them a little bit randomly, mm-hmm. I, I know the Rolling Stones, but I don't know them. They're not dear as my, one of my favorite bands, so I'm gonna go see how a band like this is still. Yeah, isn't it, what, what's the name of the tour? Like, like fifty and plus, fifty, 50 and, and going over. or yeah. something like. Yeah, yeah, fifty yeah. and over. That's oh, that's that's amazing. I mean, and and like the the cool thing what they're doing uh, here in Serrano is there's like a high school choir from like some school in Mississauga, which is a suburb of Toronto. That they're gonna sing uh, the chorus to. Uh, oh, geez, I'm screwing this up. Uh, I just heard it today, and I thought it was you like can't so. Always get what you want. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, crazy. I wonder if these kids, these kids won't have the the same connection to the Rolling Stones. They they're they're probably aware that they're famous, but they probably no, no, don't know yeah. that they're and one of the most iconic, the most, uh, you know, rock bands or a collection of artists like ever. Like in the on the Mount Rushmore of iconic rock bands are gotta be up there. Well, you know, there's that big thing that happened three or four years ago when someone, Paul McCartney was performing during the Super Bowl and some kids started being like, who's Paul McCartney on Twitter? And it freaked a lot of people out. Yeah. I think that's why, you know, you saw Mick Jagger kind of like doing things and a lot of older rock stars start to realize like, look man, the way it's going, the way social media is, people are done with even things within their own generation so quickly. You know, and generally kids don't like their parents' music. I mean. That's one thing that people don't realize. It's that's like, a that's a great point you're making. It, especially now where they, you know, people just, I remember that when the Walkman first came out, what I would notice was you put on your Walkman when you didn't want to hear what your parents were listening to and you didn't feel like speaking or being in the family mode. So some beef was going on, you're in the car, you're in the backseat, Walkman's on. Yep. You're tuning out. And now it's that to the nth degree. Kids might be on their computers, they might be on their phone. So it's like, you know, it's it's... But you're, a, you're the opposite of that because you gravitated towards your dad's music. I think I think that because I had no other choice and I couldn't, everyone in Joe's Witnesses reality, you only hang out with Joe's Witnesses and you only deal with certain things that to, to be have the jackpot of all those records in my house that was quote unquote worldly music as they would describe it yeah. and I could go down into my basement anytime and go look at them. It was just too much. And records, I was a little kid, so you picked up a record. It was like a cover of a storybook. You'd read a Stevie Wonder record. The artwork was crazy. It was papery. It was, you were in this universe. They write the lyrics. People, yeah, man. And so yeah. I think, to, to answer your question, uh, 
uh, the only reason I gravitated is because it's all I had. If I had a, if I could go out and go, you know, li- go to, to a friend's house and it would be okay for me to go and listen to Metallica with a dude around the corner, then I might not be checking my dad's music, but that wasn't allowed. So I, the only choice I had was to what my dad had and, and, you know, kudos to him. He had a great record collection. So, so how did you, um, when you were putting together, uh, your album and I'm going to get to the Ottawa senators, but mm-hmm. when you're putting together this album, uh, black on blonde, one, one half is all hip hop and the other half is all rock music. How did you, um, when you were accumulating songs and like, we, I, I, I feel like you have to be in two separate modes but correct me if I'm wrong. No, you're correct. You're correct. Two, two separate moments. Okay, musically and like your your thoughts as far as, as as creating this music. So which side did you feel? Do you finish first? Well, we were just watching. Who's the hockey player? We were just watching. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist. Oh yeah, big up. Uh, shout out to Aaliyah. I yeah, love Aaliyah you. Jasmine. We, we, I'll, you're married. I'll marry you. <laughs> uh, um, we're but, just watching a clip from her show <laughs> play on uh, uh, MTV. And uh, so this guy, she said to him, "Well, you you in 2005 you used to wear these skinny." suits and skinny you know how did people he's like my teammates would be like are you wearing your little brother's suit he's like it, it was too early in 2005 for people to really get with that fashion statement of wearing a fitted suit as an athlete and now he feels like people are a bit more open to it uh to pre pre preface preface your question every record i've made since exit i've had an abundance of rock songs oh. left left over but whether it was a label or a r or me or some of my, my black friends being, you know, skinning up their face a certain way when you played it to them in the car, I was like, nah, people, are, I can't. I got to just put these to the wayside. And I'd have to, out of 40 songs, I'd have to pick 12 or 13 that best represented the quote-unquote chaos, cross-genre style. So finally I got fed up and I looked around. I saw ASAP. I saw dudes, like, wearing certain jeans and tight. I was, like, kind of like this dude. I was like, you know what? Dudes are doing songs with management and Frank Ocean's redoing these dudes. I'm like, wow, the black culture is really opening itself up. Drake to... is singing. Exactly. So I was like, you know what? What if I just split the atom, give people their hip hop on the black side and all the songs I would usually not do or get rid of or would stay in my iTunes playlist. I do a whole record of them. Only 10 songs, but that's what a lot of great rock albums are short to the point with 10 songs like that. And do a double album, and I told my management and the label, and everyone was excited because for the first time, it's never been done. First of all, I don't think there's been a double hip hop album in Canada ever, but by to, a Canadian artist, by a Canadian artist. And, but secondly, I feel like I don't, I don't think that anyone has ever done a rock and claimed to do a hip hop record as well. And you know, to the hip hop heads, oh, but by one art, the, the closest thing to that I think is that Outcast record, right. Speaker Box Speaker and Box. the Love Below. Right, right. But, but that that wasn't the same. That didn't come out of the same brain. Those are two of, different, two and, different and, artists. And also, too, as we all know in hip hop, you know, you're gonna do, you know, if you're Riff Raff, you're gonna get ASAP on your record and Drake and Wiz, and you're gonna get co-signed by people in the game who who have a certain credibility. For me, I have Sebastian Granger on there from, you know, um, from. Uh, from uh, Death From Above, I got Sam Roberts on there, I got, you know, I got, you know... Did you see Emily Haynes? Emily Haynes is on there. So certain rockers of my friends in Canada are on the blonde side to sort of be like, okay, this guy's in this world as well. I approach it like a hip-hop world. I'm like, I'm not just going to go do, you know, I, you know, God bless him, I love B- Bruno Mars and I love his cross-genre, but, you know, I wouldn't consider him a rock-and-roll artist. I would mm. consider him somebody that's a pop artist that has 
immense sensibilities. Right. I, did, I didn't want to do something like that. I wanted to do something that if some kid was sitting in his car and he turned on a college radio station, he wouldn't know the race, the culture, or anything of the person behind that rock song, like The Dog Is Mine or something. I wanted, uh, you know, I had my boy from Calgary who's a real Canadian. I call sometimes Calgary, the Calgary Cowboy. Called me one day and he was like, my friend, he's not really into black music at all, man. He went fishing and he heard your song on the radio, man. And he was like, that's rock and roll. You know, and some of these compliments come back to me. And even though you can, you know, get up, get caught up in the corniness of it, it's a real compliment. When someone's trying to tell you, basically, you've done a song that, you know, crosses the idea of someone thinking when they hear it, this is a, a hip hop or a black person. And I feel music, people could hold up all the picket signs they want. They could say, so and so is my best friend from a different culture. But if you can project the sensibility of another culture through your music and those people in that culture respect it, that's like me going, you know, doing like Turkish music and a Turkish person going, oh, I didn't know that person was from Whitby, Ontario. You do more for relations and culture coming together when you're able to embody the thing that they love as opposed to saying, oh, I love this culture and I love that culture. And you see it with certain rappers, whether it's Eminem or certain people, they do it so well and you could tell they love it that you forget that they are not quote unquote part of the culture. And that's yeah. the whole idea of Black on Blonde. It really is a movement about bringing people together and all the stuff that goes into that, whether it's like... So which side did you finish up first, Kev? Uh, I, the, the black side was finished first because it's longer and extensive, and I had certain collabos on there with Black Thought from The Roots and Travis McCoy from Gym Class Heroes and just a, some American artists. That, that song's dope, CLA. Yeah, yeah I like that a lot. It, it, it took a minute, yeah. Those songs took a minute to get people to sign off, and it was like dealing with a hip-hop record. It's like, it's so much politics. The blonde, Really? I think so, because people are... You know, it's a whole different world, you know what I mean? It's like... Does everything happen slower? Everything happens slower. You know, Black Thought, who I've been trying to do a song with since 2000 and... Wow! Whatever, like when I first toured with them in 2003 or four, kept on saying, he's work, he's doing Jimmy Fallon now. He's like, okay, tonight after the show, I'll drop my verse. Okay, I'm going to the studio after the show tonight. And I, you know, you know the deadline came and went, I just sent him an email. I go, dude, if you don't want to do this, I have to just come out and say it like a fan almost. Like, you don't have to do this. And he hit me back. Like, dude, tonight, and then I sat on my computer in my bedroom. Oh, I just got the email, and I looked at the email like, okay, so my favorite rapper right now just sent me a verse. <laughs> and I just, I remember just being... Boom, my, comes up in your in inbox. My, I just remember being in my living room, just like a kid, hearing the verse and being like, yes, and just being excited. So it was the hip-hop record was a new thing for me because, as you well know, people will say chaos is not... Chaos is chaos, but he's not like a rapper. He's So I really got into that world, and I found it to be very extensive and you have to be really respectful of people's time and you need time for things to sort of work because that that world of hip-hop and hip-hop music is the biggest music out there right now whereas rock and roll everything's easy the production's a little bit easier you can be grimy and dirty you know you throw you get your band in studio you put a jam to, dog is mine is just a jam off the floor really you know that happened in three minutes oh so, my gosh so so it's it, cool i like that song yeah so it's just I think there's differences, but I also learned so much about music by putting these two records together and sometimes throwing on the you know the blonde record on the morning and being like, I'm not feeling this. This is, I don't know. And then putting the black record on and going, this is what I'm feeling. And then having the same feeling about the black record the next In week reverse, later. Right, yeah. And just realizing that this is kind of cool that you've given people the choice. You Did know? you get to go on the Fallon show? Yeah, I did. I went on there uh, the week, the day my record came out. Uh, you know, Amir and Tariq rigged it with Fallon that my record came out the day 
I went on Fallon the day my record came out. That's sick. So so Mir is Questlove, the yeah. the drummer, the uh, with the huge afro, and uh, and Tariq is Black Thought, who is the the lead singer to the group, uh, the Roots. For those who are unfamiliar, yeah. And so, so were you were you with the band or did you perform? No, I, I sat in with the band. You sat in with the band. Did, which, you, which, what, did you play an instrument? Oh, yeah, yeah, I played guitar, and I was just like, I was. It was just, it was the best thing that could ever happen. Like you know, I was in the rehearsals with them, literally looking at the wall, freaking out, going, "I'm about to rehearse," and I said to him. He's like, okay, we're gonna do. He, he knew my material. Black uh, Amir Questlove was like, let's do Superstar, and he had all these songs prepared from songs, and they started talking about being in university and hearing that song, and it just. I was nervous until I realized this is the band I kind of took cues from. Right. So essentially, you're sitting in with your older brothers that have influenced you already. So it was it was it was, a, it was an epic night. I remember walking from my hotel into my hotel that after the whole thing, and I was like, this these are the times in life when you feel just happy that you got to experience something. You know, people talk about what is success in music. I really feel it's bonding and being accepted by your heroes because it allows you to move on and start to be more original because the people that you are kind of imitating and liking now have sort of co-signed you. So, you know, that's always been my thing where people are like, you've done this, you've got this, you've, you've won awards, you've sold records, you have platinum. What is success to you? And I can never answer them. I'm like, I'll know it when I come, come across it. And I feel like a little bit of reason why I'm kind of grounded and super excited about life right now and stoked on everything is because that happened and it made me see that's that's what success is success is having someone that you look up to kind of go you know after this one freestyle i was like you know i'm i'm like um it's it's, it's springtime it's springtime in new york like woody allen i'm rocking with jimmy fallon and the music stopped and black thought just gave me a pound like whoa you killed that nice style and i was like he, the moment he gave me that pound i was like wow i kind of impressed my like favorite rap. Yeah. And so those are the little things that you just look for. So I feel like that's a big part of my musical path for sure. Part of your part of your musical path is and, and I, I don't know if people recognize this and I was thinking about it uh yesterday when I when I shot you a text like, yo, can you, you know, let's uh get in the studio. You're like, Yeah, done, whenever you whenever you need. Was that like when you when you so when you emerged uh for the populace to to sort of digest your 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 music, um you used like singing like not as like a prop or like a gimmick and i mean i mean mean it like this like nelly and like ja rule when they were kind of singing in hip-hop it was it felt like it was like a i don't know it, it wasn't a hook yeah it was, like, it was like a hook or it was like a, it was like a, a gimmick that you used but when you were singing it was like it, it felt more authentic like it was like you had the talent to do it and you were expressing yourself that way, not because it sounded cool. Right. And and in my brain, you're like the first, I, I actually think you're the first artist to do this because like Exit was like, I mean, but you were recording Exit for years. So like it came out, I think in 02. Right. But oh, you've been recording for, I don't know, two, three years before that. So before Andre 3000 had, you know, Hey, Hey Ya and, and prototype where he was literally singing on that whole album and he was he's one of the greatest MCs ever period yeah um but you were doing that so like i don't know if i don't know if you do you uh should you be more recognized for that um well cuz cuz well, right now like, you want to talk about Drake is super popular right. because he does that Drizzy Drizzy we'll and, and he's he's very talented yeah. and you, and you, well i think the first thing we got to say is that i Tribe Called Coast is a huge influence for me and 
they had a lot of singing on their records and I think I kind of yeah. I could already say yeah well just hooks and like little things like little melodies and stuff like that everything is they sampled Jimi Hendrix or something and so I the singing in the music was sort of there in rap and people used to get kind of uptight about it no one was allowed to sing we, everyone knew that being R&B was bad but I didn't care but just to fast forward a bit, Lauren Hill. That's actually that's great. Sorry, that's great that you. That's cool that you say that. Oh yeah, Lauren Hill. So Lauren Hill was sort of like I remember when I got my deal, someone had you know my manager had dropped this Billboard American Billboard magazine and I was featured in it. He's like, you're in this. Check it out. And I was going through the pages really quick, just get to the feature, and it said, the male Lauren Hill. And I was like, what? That's <laughs> what you're gonna call? And but at the same time, I was super excited about it because the Fugees were a huge influence. And what they were trying to say was, well, here's the male version of someone who can sing and rap, and we believe that they're doing both dexterously and well. And so when that happened, uh, whatever. And you know, I thought the Fugees would get certain. Co- and then I met the Fugees, and then I struck up a relationship with them. And then Lauren Hill became a friend of mine. We exchanged emails, and you know, she. To me, she was really the first rap singer where you were like, wow, she's singing, she's killing it. And she's killing wow, it. Wow, she's rapping. So, quiet has kept everyone out there. Most of us get our game from a woman. Let's keep it real. Mm. Especially musically. Mick Jagger, who I'm going to see tonight, has said that all he's trying to do is be Tina Turner on stage. Yeah? So, so, so there you go. And so, for me, it's like, let's, 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 let's sign that off first before I go toot my own horn. Now that I've done that, I can toot my own horn and basically say, <laughs> in Canada, whether you're looking at Drake or whether you're looking at you know, there's so many people now, whether it's Kanan or these guys that have seen, yeah, I was the first one to do it, but you, Canada has Canada has an interesting relationship with their rappers. There's never four or five of us existing at the same time. You'll oh, go, it's amazing you, you say that. You'll go, you'll go to the Junos and you'll see uh, Broken Social Scene, The Deers. Uh, it might be four or five bands. You, Brian Adams might do something. They might, you know, they might get the triumph to do the, you know, give them the humanitarian award. Rocks, rock musicians galore, all allowed to exist all at the same time. With rappers, there's always just one. If it's not Maestro, it's Kanon. If it's not Kanon, it's Chocolair. If it's not Chocolair, it's Drizzy. If it's not Drizzy, then it's Chaos. And so what they do is they create a scenario where you're the only, only black guy scenario. And I, I don't want people to take, don't get your backs up to, because okay, yes, and you don't have to subscribe to that and you could just go do your thing and not care what the Junos think or not care what awards thinks. But a lot of these times when you get decorated with awards and platinum records, it validates you to your parents. You can, <laughs> you can, get, you can get paid more for shows. Your life changes and people respect you. So these societal awards more are like a, a nod to you being a professional at what you do and allowing you to make a better living at it than just walking around going, for me to go, I have two platinum records. Okay, that's cool, but in saying that, a label's always going to be like, well, he did reach 200,000 people, let's give him another chance. It allows you, it's your life is better, right? So, musically. So, what I, I don't blame that I should be more recognized with that, but what the new guy has to do in the case of Drake, he can't waste his time saying, I got this from chaos. This is his chance to do stuff. Every, the, all eyes are on him. He can't spend time going, and he did say that in a complex magazine, that he looks up to what I do, and that's a guy that he could quote-unquote idolize. I remember everyone sending me this complex magazine, and I found that very gracious of him. But at the same time, it's like, at the same time, do I get upset when dudes don't recognize that? If they act a certain way after they become famous, no doubt. Like, know the architects. Maestro called me and said, let's do this song. I didn't have time. Then Maestro said, I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do whatever you say, son. You're Maestro. I would not be rapping if you didn't exist. And he loved that. And I didn't just say it to be facetious because every time my ego was like, I don't know if I want to do this track. 
I listened to it and I made it better. I sang my best for him because if it wasn't for Maestro, none of us would be doing this. I have that respect level for him because I remember being a kid in some small town, 40 minutes outside Toronto and seeing Backbone Slide and being like, a Canadian guy can do this? Right. And so I'll never forget that. I don't think kids now think that, even though Drake and Kanan have both had conversations with me about being fans of my music, I don't think at the height of their fame they're going to go, if it wasn't for this guy, I wouldn't be doing what I do. Is it true? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, 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 you know, and I have songs. So it's like, it's all how you look at it. But if you're an OG or the older brother, you don't really need your little brother to tell you you're the older brother. That's not being a real older brother. If you waste too much time on that, then you become the dead end of your family tree and you become somebody that is not respected and you become a, a naysayer and someone who's living in the past, as Bruce Springsteen says, glory days. I'm not into that. I don't need to be validated by these you know, guys. But at the same time, uh, it would be nice if Canada created the scenario back to to bring it back where there were so many of us existing and we all got a different, some guy got one for the best rap thing and another guy got the best rap award and another guy got the best R&B song and they were all going home that night with a little bit of trophies. If we could feel like that was going to happen at the end of the night, we, we'd have our back up a little bit less against the next man. It's subconscious, divide and conquer. I don't think it's a racial thing. I just think that Canada likes its rock and they're not ready yet to, to present a vanguard of black men on the cover of whatever magazine or all sitting on a panel on much music, me, Drake, Kane, and talking to our nation about hip-hop. They're not ready for that yet. If it was rock and roll, it might be a different case. You know, they might do a festival together or, you know, do like whatever it is. But it's not even, you know, even OVO is not me, Kanan, and Drake. It forces him in the position to assert his business and do what he's got to do. Right. So it's it's really about that as far as not being recognized. It's more of like one guy at a time. So. What, you know, it's, it's interesting you say that because two months ago, Cardi... Cardinal Fisher, I was sitting in your chair and he said the exact same thing. Yeah, he said the exact, like almost word for word. So it's, it's interesting that it's, it is so clear in your minds as artists that in Canada, it's one hip hop guy at a time. That's all the industry allow, not allows for, but it's all the industry like m makes room for just one, just one at a time. It's, it's well, as opposed it's, to 30 or 40. Right. You know? and, and we're not, and you know, women go through a lot of the same thing ironically and sorry to, you know I'm not comparing us to quote unquote white women but there's not a lot of like female starlet I, if it's Carly Rae it's Carly Rae so they if it's lights us, it's lights if it's that's how they treat Ellie us. Goulding it's, yeah. yeah and so with or Car is, is it, no lights is Ellie Goulding right no 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 two different, <laughs> two different. Um, the, the, my apologies uh, Cardi was, uh, one time I emailed him years ago and I was having a problem and I was like this is on this and this and this he's like yo brethren that's how it is right now you're king right now and I was like, come on, are you serious? You know I don't play into that. And he was just like, in capital letters, guy, with exclamation <laughs> mark. Like, in other words, like, wake up, dude. Like, you're the one dude for right now. This is how it is right now. So Cardi has always known that because he's, you know, he's had that position and he continues to be the probably the most loved and the best performer out of all of us. But it's like, yeah, when you see the game for a while, you start to realize that. And I wish I could do something to change it. I mean, I wish I could say next summer, all these guys call them up and be like, let's get on stage together. Let's do our own. That'd be pretty amazing. But pretty it's epic. so hard to do because yeah. everyone's like, you know how it is. It's like you need, it needs to be happening because it's real. It can't just be me as the older artist trying to r rustle the younger. Like it has to be someone. Someone else has to make that call. Mm. It, was almost like, it was almost like Nas would have to do it. Then everyone would do it. Right. You know, if it was his show and he wanted to celebrate Canadian artists and ask us all, we'd probably do it. 
but for someone for Canada to do it and that just shows we have a long way to go so that's what is let's not get mad about it let's observe that and do our best to kind of kind of fix it if we can one thing that Cardi said was I asked him about how I mean you've been in the record the music business for uh, you know a decade and a half or two two decades almost probably whatever um, but how do you so so I asked him like when you are uh, when you're collaborating with people or when you're you're recording music. You re- you don't just record music here in Toronto, yeah. Right. You you well, you spend a lot of your time in Vancouver. Right. So when you're traveling about and you're 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 having conversations with artists, whether it's via email or text or in person, and people are always like, oh, well, let's work together. Let's work together." Do you get a lot of that? Let's work together. Let's work together. I'm I'm kind of an unseen guy. Like what does that. that mean? Well, I think the people I'm like kind of like you know, I'm not on the scene. You know, I don't. People come across me. Yeah, but dude, you play like nine instruments. I know, but I mean, I, I feel, I feel like, I feel like, you know what? The person, a person who said let's work together before was like the drummer from, uh, 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 uh from TV on the radio. He was a, he's a bartender at a bar. We had some mutual friends, and he's a beast. He also plays like five instruments, probably. And he was like, "Yo, let's get together." And I was like, actually, kind of intimidated. He was like, I was in America, and I was like, I'm at the studio. What studio at? Electric Ladyland. Oh, okay, I'm coming by. I'm like, oh, uh, just wait. So sometimes it's those guys that sometimes find me, and I still, sometimes I get a bit nervous, to be honest. I am very much of a nerd and in my own space, and I feel I got into music because it was a time that I didn't have to deal with anyone. So it's not that I don't do stuff with people. Socks is like a, one of my, uh, he's my soul brother. We've done like, we're talking about doing a record together. That's cool. What, Oblivion a, was a little, what is that, that little yeah, snippet? It's like something that we were working on, and he's Sick. like, let's do our, let's do the record, let's do the record, and we just got to put some time away to do it. But, I mean, it's difficult, man. It's like I'm trying to tread new ground, and sometimes the best thing you have to do is separate yourself from the scene in which you are supposed to be a part of. And I feel like that sometimes comes off as a form of snobbery or I do live music. So you're not really accessible is what you're saying. I'm not that accessible and I make myself so because I just want to be weird. I don't want anyone (laughs) to know me. I don't necessarily like... Why? Because I don't... Because I don't... Because I like being different. I don't need to be in society and around people yeah I but want, we're talking about music though we're i know about but, collaborating but maybe not yeah maybe later on in my life but for right now i just need to be the weirdest that i can be and sometimes i'm so easily influenced by the dopeness of these dudes like if i was to hang isn't around, that a good thing it's great but i, I don't want to i want to keep the strain of my music outside of that for now and so the best way to do it is just like it's like my boy it's like did you hear the new nas i'm not listening to the new nas why because i'll start rapping like him it's like it's a thing that MCs know that they don't really release to the public that much. It's like part of the reason a lot of rappers don't listen to another rapper because if they're really good, you start sounding like them. And the whole thing about rap is that you should be original. So sometimes you got to take the loss of being less accessible, take the bullet or not being a part of the scene just to come up with something that's original. You know, that's a little pretentious because I will hear the new Nas or someone will be playing it and I won't say take it off because my mind is being blown. But at the same time, it's like... I need to like I'm steady listening to like Sid Barrett or watching Harmony Corinne interviews on the internet because <laughs> those guys are just weirdos. You know Shout out I mean? to Spring Breakers. That yeah, first yeah, twenty yeah, minutes was yeah, awesome. Did you, know you see the movie? Yeah, no, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, uh, I'm all I'm, I'm straight every day. I just watch another riffraff video because the guy is. Just, <laughs> I want to hang around with that guy. I think that guy. I think if I hung around with him for a week, my rap music would take a turn that would be like. Epic. Yeah, you you would you would have like you would ha- you would spit like six words per bar. It's <laughs> no. like R- riffraff is like who James Franco based his character on in the movie Spring. Google Breakers. him. Google it. Google it. You Google riffraff. Uh, most interestingly, this last interview he just did with Ebro, 
from Hot 97 where mm-hmm. he questioned his persona. I just put that up on my blog, on my Twitter. It was It's a great interview because people think he's an actor and he's not a real dude. And we still don't know. It's, he's got a Bob Dylan factor to him where he's created his own myth. So everyone wants to get at him and find out, is he from the streets? Was he pimping? What is he? And he won't answer anyone straight. And I ah. feel like he's, a, and he says it in his interview. He's like, um, so did you deal drugs? He's like, no, I don't really like people i don't like society i don't like so i don't want people coming up to me on the corner i'm i don't I, I don't fit in with society and once he said that i was a fan because a lot of artists that i respect and the way i see life is sometimes you just don't fit in it's not to say that you don't like people because when you take that hat off and you just you have a beer or you sit down with the people who are your friends you don't approach it like you're this person or chaos or that person and there's those you're those you're you count on your hand your friends you can do that with but i think musically uh, unless i really really i'm a super fan of you then I'm not going to pursue doing music with you. And if you were to pursue me and I'm a super fan of you, I will do music with you. Thus, I got Black Thought on my record. The Sox is on there. Shad is on there. Super fan of that guy. Sam Roberts. You know, for all this talk, I probably have the most collabs from artists from different genres than any artist. So when I really like someone, I'll do it. But it has to be a friendship. All those people I sat in a bar with, you know, talk to Emily Haynes is my homie. We've got her dad's a you know, she's born in India. Her dad's a poet. She's loves hip hop, you know. It's like these people are my friends, so I, So you have to so you have to be friends with someone kind in order of, to kind of, kind of. So I but if, but if you're not accessible, how can you even start that relationship? Well that's how it is, right? Because Dude, that's like it's okay, you're leaving it up okay, to the put, universe. Put, put, like. put it this way, you know how a lot of girls the the truest girls I've met in my life they, they, you know, you get to the question and we're all little boys at heart. It's like, so do you like me? They're whatever. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, I like you. I like you. What's not to like? The, the smartest ones will be like, what's not to like? And you start having a conversation. So what's up? Like, yeah, you know, we should be friends. And w- when you're a younger guy, it's such an offense. You're like, oh, so oh, you show the F word at me. The friends word. But as I've matured as a man, I'm like, that's the greatest compliment a woman can say to you. In the sense of if she l- admits to like you and then says, let's hang out. Because she's trying to figure, you know, she wants to see what's up. She's interested in seeing what's going on. On a musical tip, and I keep going back to, you know, Bono's, Bono's statement, all rock stars are, as a man, when you become a rock star, is a beautiful woman. It's a, your dynamic is the exact same in society. You have to, like, ward people off. You have to be kind of weird. People That's, get creepy. Wow. You get, yeah. People get creepy. So for me, when I meet somebody in there, if we're friends, if I'm laughing at you, if I'm watching... 20 minutes of riffraff videos and <laughs> laughing to my gut-busting laughter. If I saw him and I was, he was like, let's go to the studio, I'm, I'm in. I mean, if he's that same guy when I hang out with him, so be it. So I have to have some kind of filter to decide what's musically great, you know? It's like, you know, when, when I did a song with Drake and the first, you know, he got my email from someone, you know, text messaged me from somebody and he's like, it's Drake. I go, yeah, I, I know. He's like, I want to do a song with you, da, da, da. And the first, he's a smart guy because the first thing he said is like, I heard you into champagne. I got these fine champ. He's like, let's let's hang out. He didn't say, let's do a song. He's like, yo. Then he hit me the next week. He's like, yo, I'm just chilling tonight. You want to come by and like taste these like champagnes? I was like, this guy's like, like he's interested. He's not saying, he wants to do music, but he wants to hang out. Yeah, wants you know? to form a relationship first before and, and, you guys go do yeah, yeah, business and, yeah, in a way. And even on tour, like after the third night when I wasn't going out, he's like, where do you go at night? You're worth this party. And so that's what I can get with. I could get with people. Wait, what? Say that again? Well, he, I wasn't going out after, I was like very kind of weary because it was an American tour through the thick of America. And I was like, I'd never done that before. So there were all these parties that they would have every night, like Drake and his DJ and all these people. And I would always get invited, but I ended up either on my tour bus or like I made my mixtape, The Anchorman, during that 
that that that the Anchorman mixtape I made it during the Drake tour. So every time I put on when clothes, was this Drake tour? This was like uh, 2011. Okay. It, uh, and uh, I, I'd go, I put my clothes on and I'd go. Do you want to go to the club? You should be you know go to the studio. And I, I had a studio set up in the back and I'd rap. And I'd be like, okay, you can't be. This is the, this is all these experiences. So finally, after the first week, he's like, where do you go after your show? You, I never see you. And it was like it was a very short conversation, but it was almost like, yo, well, let I want tour. Let's hang out. So these are the type of people that I can kind of vibe with because I feel like they show you that they're interested in getting to know you. It's not just about co-sign me or you're this guy or the you know the the, the tour we were on where the, it was like an all green the conscious college tour so you know my manager was like well this is good because you're a conscious guy and you can so there's a business aspect but uh, surprisingly when i got on the tour we were treated amazingly and you know dudes wanted to hang out so my point is is that that's always going to be a credo for me is a hangout part and being a friend with someone before i jump into like doing music and because i'm kind of a weird guy Again, and I've come from a suburban reality, and rap is not necessarily all about that. You know, I might vibe quicker with uh, Sam Roberts than I will with a guy Trinidad Jones or something. <laughs> Trinidad and his, James, and James, yeah, and his da- and his first name is the country that I'm from. Right, you right. Know, I might be quicker to do a song with, you know, somebody like the dude from like, you know, The Strokes than than to, to rap with, you know, like Q-Tip because maybe we might not vibe each other. It's just how I am. It's just like, I think similar backgrounds dictate a lot the people you end up vibing with. You mentioned um, uh, Tribe earlier. It's it, it when when I was, I guess, uh, I suppose I was mistaken because you, you pointed out that Lauren Hill was an artist that was singing and rhyming on in in her music before, before you did. And, um, but you mentioned, and then you said, you know, with Tribe Called Quest and a lot of their records, uh, there was there was there was singing in like in in the hooks, and it's interesting when you when you go Tribe Called Quest. I think of Q-Tip because he, him and Ali Shahi Muhammad produced all the music, and I know that you produced a lot, if not all of all of your music. But hit the sound of Q-Tip's voice, right? Is like you guys have similarities in the sound of your voices. I don't, do you do you uh, do, have uh, do people say that to you, or have you? Oh, is that something you see as well? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think. Q-Tip uh, was a huge hero of mine, the, him and the Jungle Brothers. But um, Q-Tip is on record as saying, when they asked him who his favorite record was, and this is how I figured it out, he said, Slick Rick. And they said, why Slick Rick? He's like, well, at the time I came into rap, everyone had like, yeah, voice. And Rakim was like, you know, it's been a long time. Yeah, and they got came same everyone thing. Everyone had a low voice and yeah. was like super, you know, and Slick Rick was like, you know, had a high voice. Yeah. And he's like, he made me believe that I could be in the rap game because I, we had a similar voice. So I kind of copped his style as training wheels to sort of be like, oh, this is a guy I can kind of get into the game with. And I feel that way about Q-Tip uh, and the Jungle Brothers and a little bit of De La Soul is that they were dudes from the suburbs that were normal guys that didn't have anything too like menacing to the voice. It's like a guy, the boy next door voice. And so a lot of my first raps, everybody wanted, because I was a singer before and I'd come in the rapping freestyle and my first, my first rap I ever had was, you know, uh, you know, I'm not gonna say it. No, the first say rap, it. The first rap I had, the first rap I <laughs> had, it. everybody was like, you know, I was like, what is the meaning? The microphone is seeming to get complicated because brothers keep proceeding. And everyone's like, you sound like YouTube, man. You sound like YouTube. And I thought it was the biggest compliment because what? Take a butt, take a butt, take a butt. What? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so yeah. everybody was just like, so I rolled with it for a while. And then a good friend of mine who was an MC, he's like, yeah, that's dope, but you can't sound like that forever, bro. Like you need to. This guy was. His name's Child Prodigy. He was. 
he's he's you know my my boy Nigel shout out to Nigel he's in Bowmanville maybe you're listening maybe you're not but he put he was like my teacher of rap he was younger than me but he was like the freestyle king of our area so he would always say you're good but you need to develop your own style and so uh over time I'd be like I just gradually start adding things and then when I start to sing that's when I sort of start to be able to look at the rap part and go okay I have an original singing voice but my rap voice sounds like a lot of people I start to tweak because singing was more of my natural thing and it allowed a good kind of uh, tuning fork for me to listen back to the raps and go oh how come I sound original when I sing but when I rap and it was very apparent that Tribe had influenced my style and you know I think Q-Tip knows that we have some mutual friends I'm always trying to get at him but he's like you're, the, you're my son you know <laughs> so maybe one day uh, Kamal will do a song with me but for now I'm sure he's very aware that I you know took a lot from that the man next to me uh, Chaos has uh, an album out right now called Black on Blonde and how dude how many different instruments can you play when you first got in here I was like dude how many Cause I'm, cause I'm watching, uh, I'm watching. Um, oh my gosh, I'm watching. Uh, what's, what's the, what's the video you do when it's, it's like you guys are in the studio, the girls are playing the music, and you're, what? It's a, uh, the dog is mine. Video? The dog is mine. Right, yeah, yeah. guitar. Yeah. yeah. I mean, okay, you know, I, uh, the, when I was, when I was, ten years old, my grandmother gave me a Yamaha keyboard. Sick. I have one of those in my, in my living room right now. Yeah. That Ed Helms just played in the Hangover thing. Boom. So it's like, if you want it, you can have it. Oh man, <laughs> early Yamaha, and she said she gave me a Billy Joel sound book, songbook, and she was like, you know, open it to just the way you are, and she was like, okay, this is, learn this, and um, my uncles, That's were, amazing. My uncles were like, you know, she, you know, your grandmother made me play the upright bass. She assesses you, she looks at you, and then she says, this is the instrument you're gonna play. So I started off just keyboards and just banging around on on keyboards and stuff. Bang around, bang around, and then. Um, and then uh, next thing I knew, uh, the Fuchis came out and I saw him rap on a guitar, uh, rapping with a guitar. I remember Wyclef, Wyclef? did yeah. an interview where he was rapping on a guitar with a guitar, and he was like, you know, um, he was he. I was like, wow, that someone's rapping with a guitar. That's that's like Bob Dylan. That's like the next level of poetry. So then I bought a guitar that same week, and then I was I think I was 25 when that happened. So I spent 25 to 30 just learning chords, and then the drums. You know, I'd see it, dude. I the dudes I hang around like you know again Sam Roberts, Sebastian Granger from Death from Above. These guys play five six different instruments. So you're in the studio with them, and they're just like, oh, go over to the drums. Oh, and I was like, I need to be able to do that. So when I was by myself in the studio, or the engineer left, I would just start messing around on the drums. So there's drums, guitar, bass. Yeah. All uh, very key, all keyboards. Yes, and all that is just I just play so I can get my idea out, and then I call in the the, the dudes, you know. And I think that's a good way. And Lenny Kravitz does something similar. Um, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm as good as him uh, as a multi instrumentalist, but my idea is definitely create your own samples. So in other words, I'll I'll rock a beat for sixteen bars, then loop it in my keyboard, and that's me playing the thing or whatever. I figure it out. But you know, as you so the mu the music always comes first before the words for, for you? sure for sure. And I think just wanting to try around, you know, sometimes the first day that I play drums in the studio, I don't know why I did it. I was like, I'm gonna play the drums. My engineer was like, what? Put it up, and I just start playing. It's like when you ride the bike for the first time, like you already knew how to do it. It's almost like that. But you you've been looking at it so long and just peeping it out that all everything starts working and I'm like I remember looking at the wall in the studio going I'm playing the drums right <laughs> and this is me I remember this is me at like you know 30 so and then another another time one of my guitar players was looking at me and he's like watched me and he's like I go why are you looking at me like that he's like oh you're messing around with the guitar and I've just watched you discover distortion because I was messing around with it and like making loud noises and all of a sudden I was like Meh! 
And I was like freaking out. And he's like, that's so weird to watch someone so late in their musical career discover distortion on the guitar. So going back to the whole Justin Bieber thing from the earlier part of this convo, you got to stay innocent. You got to try new things. Up to 14, you know, up to 20 years old, if you suck at something, it's okay because everybody sucks at something at 14, 15, 16. As you get into your 20s, people are afraid to suck at something. So they don't try new things because the initial period of which they suck at, people make fun of them. When I first picked up the guitar, all my friends were like, dude, you suck. <laughs> it's almost you like... You have great friends. Yeah, it's, no, but they were just trying to like, you know, because I'm good at other things and they're like, you want to leave that alone, you know? But at the same time, it's almost like... You know, it's the rite of passage. If you can get past that point where then they look at you a couple of months later and go, actually, that's pretty good. You're learning. But so I think that's a big part of it, too, is that you got to stay innocent. There's a story of David Bowie being in Berlin and him, you know, running his band through some songs and something's wrong. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. We don't know. He turns to everyone. He's like, the bass player is like, you go on drums. The drummer, he's like, you go on guitar. I'll sing vocals and he put everyone on different instruments now he knew they were super talented and they could play but by playing the instrument that they didn't play they start to channel their juvenile not knowing what to do next style and he oh. got a real punk rock sound out of the band really so, yeah so that's I amazing so i think that's part of it too is also just knowing how to how to do something that you don't know to do how to do that well and getting a dirty sound out of it because Come on, most of the music made by people in pop music, whether it's the Beatles, are made by 21-year-old guys who don't really know what they're doing. It's not, the, you know, the, the, you know, Eddie Van Halen became Eddie Van Halen. He's a special case, but most guys from The Clash, you know, Joe Strummer will say, when I got three chords together, I was amped because now I could go on stage and play. The punk rock ethos is about being able to be the layman that gets to do it. And when people see someone on stage doing something simple that they might be able to play they automatically relate and they don't know why it's because what that person is doing is so simple and that's what the, makes the best pop music you know i think you just blew my <laughs> mind dude i think i just had my mind blown i want to i want to ask you one more thing oh, there's like okay good there, there, i don't want to like take all your time but there okay uh you are okay real quick what is you're from Whippy Ontario? What is your you're in here? I'm looking at you. You're wearing a a Toronto Blue Jays baseball cap. What are your sports allegiances? And this will get us to the Ottawa Senators thing that we were talking about before we got it. Um, okay, so so my brother's an athlete, and my younger brother is a sports fiend. Quite as kept, he got caught for gambling when he was like 14, you know, betting on teams and stuff. So my two brothers are really into sports. I went the artistic way, but I also quite as kept. I played rugby, basketball, really? volleyball and track in high school and then I just quit everything in grade nine because you know I remember doing running and I could hear the guy we did the initial heat or something for track just everyone just run and dudes were like I could hear them breathing behind me and I knew that I wasn't when I was a kid in, in grade school I used to like just blow people away but now dudes were going through puberty and like all the big white dudes were like <laughs> catching up to me <laughs> so I was like I'm done with this sport I'm done with this now I'm gonna go to music and I just quit and my dad's like why are you quitting sports I'm like it's not my thing so I stopped but I continued to be an aggravator and I play on the basketball team in high school and little things just to roll with dudes and have fun <laughs> but 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 I'm not a fan of new sports and you know, what do you mean, new my, well, my, well, my, well, my, my DJ, who is a sports fiend and like dudes, you know, my, my bass player, Tom is a huge hockey fan. There's a lot of sports arguments on the bus and I just don't say anything. And they're like, here comes old Kevin with talking about Dominique Wilkins again. <laughs> and it's just like, I just feel like the passion of sports right now when I, besides hockey, 
Hockey playoffs forever remain crunk. Those dudes go hard. Right. What are they? I, hockey players, you know, I grew up in Whitby, Ontario. Eric Lindros is a friend of mine. Joey Neuendijk was my babysitter. You know, Gary, really? Gary Roberts spent time at my house when Joey Neuendijk would invite those guys over when my parents went around. And all I would see was mad girl 10 speed bikes on my lawn because they were just having parties <laughs> at my crib. I remember looking out as a kid and That's seeing just bikes, bikes on my lawn for like lengths and all. Oh my gosh, just that's Whit- amazing! Whitby chicks just hanging out. Anyway, my point is, is that uh, so I grew up around all that, and uh, so I understand the dynamic. But hockey players have something different, where it's like I think no matter how much money they make, because it's a Canadian sport and they're representing Canada, they just still go hard, whether they're fighting, whether they're going stretching for that. But I find other sports. I mean, I haven't. I remember dudes used to be like, you know, the dunks that they would do, these dunks and the dr- falling in the crowd and pinning guys to the backboard. Like a lot of the sports like basketball and stuff has changed for me. It doesn't have the same passion. People are getting paid a lot of money and the, the breed of the player is less all out. They like what they do. You know, dudes, Shaq is beefing with Kobe. You know, Worthy was beefing with Magic. You did, stuff didn't happen like that in, from the sports, that, from the era that I watched sports, which was the 80s, which was you know, Michael Jordan. You, that's it. You can't tell me about Kobe or anybody. Michael, don't even bring these guys up. It's Michael Jordan dunking from the free throw line. That's it. <laughs> if, if you show me that right now, I'm, I'm interested in you. Otherwise, I mean, I like Iverson just because of the swag of what he came. But my, I have no allegiances anymore because I watch sports on a random, very, very random level. So you don't. But so, I will say, okay. I have to admit, yes. When my people in Vancouver were wiling. Oh, when they were in the were the Stanley Cup Finals. I was with them. I like Vancouver. I like Crosby. I love, I love, what Vancouver is. I love Vancouver because they're anti-establishment and they're a punk rock city. DOA's from there. You know, a band called Slow. They're very yeah, and they burned up the city when they lost in but, Game but Seven. Did, but it blowing up like I know. I'm not saying I'm supporting that, but. I mean that's a passionate fan, man. That is that's true. That and is I, and my whole that thing, is a passionate and my, fan. And my, and my, and my whole thing on this when I started this was like, where's the passion? So my allegiance is now I'm a Blue Jays kid. You know, I'm a kid that gave away my ticket to my younger brother when he wanted to go see the Blue Jays um, with our, fr- our friend Greg. He begged me so much. I was like, but if you get a, <laughs> if you get a, if you get a ball, you have to bring it back. And he caught a fly ball. Did, and, really? And he brought it home for me. And these are the things I'm like. You know, George Bell. You know, I'm like. So you're era. okay. So you're like you're you're like eighty. I'm a dude. Dave Steve. I'm a Dave Steve fan. <laughs> I mean, people could laugh on the air right no, now. That's but amazing. Like, no, that's amazing. But, but, but shout but, out to Jimmy Key. Uh, yeah, I, I, I Dave Steve. Alexander Doyle is like you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so for me, it's like t- the whole thing changed after that. So if you're gonna ask me what my allegiances are, my allegiances is, is much like the golden era of hip hop. There's a golden era of sports to me. Okay, and I feel the more mo- the more money people made. You are old though. That's, you're just admitting your age. But that's okay though because you know what? Sometimes. As my dad would say to me, he's like, you might think I'm old, but no, your music just does suck. <laughs> okay? So we could throw age into it at one, but sometimes when you're watching dudes and you're watching them play and you're seeing all this beef and dudes are like, you're like, are you about the game or are you about the games? So, you know, it's entertaining. You know, I'm, I, I'm actually a huge Shaq fan. And that's really? Say, yeah, because I feel like he was a great, his story is great. And I feel like he's one of the last great, like, 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 like warriors 
warrior man and just like just the way he played the game and the, how funny he was and how he dealt with the press. I don't know if you're going to get a basketball player like that. I, you may not get a, a sports personality like him. I mean, Dwight Howard is sort of in his lane, but as authentic and funny and jovial and huge and as dominant as Shaq was, I don't know. He's, I think he's, a, he's an anomaly. That's what I mean. So it's like, and he played, what was this, Shazam? What was it? Yeah, he did, he did Steel, <laughs> he did Shaz- and Shazam, and they were both awful. Yeah, but so he did. So, yeah, and, but, but he was good, pretty good at, well, I don't remember Blue Chips, Blue Chips. But, I, but that was like a pretty good basketball movie. Nick Nolte was the coach. Anthony Hardaway was a teammate. And Shaq was, I don't remember his acting, but uh, actually, Shaq, I think is in, uh, I think he's in Anchorman too. You remember, you mentioned Anchorman as one of your mixtapes that you made on that yeah. on that tour through the U.S. and uh, a couple of summers ago. But I, I think he's, it's he's got a he's got a cameo in a in a movie this this summer. Okay, last thing. Um, I don't even know if we have time to get into the Ottawa Senators thing because you. Well, right. I mentioned it, but oh, you, yeah. how were you trying to agitate people the other day? Uh, I was at the a bar called the Dog and Bear on Queen Street last night. And it was me, two young ladies, and then uh, they had a couple dudes show up, and I was already like, "Who are these dudes that are showing up?" <laughs> but so, that's the thing, though. Do, 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 why don't more girls understand that we don't want to meet their guy friends? No, but it's cool, man, because you know what? You're and okay I, with that? I wasn't at first, and so, then, okay, so you were okay with it. I was at first, and then we start. Then they were like the senators, the senators, you know, you know, talking trash. I was like, "Wow!" And I start to notice a pattern that sometimes when the Canadians or the Leafs make it, everyone rallies around. The Leafs, even the Canucks or something, people go, you know, you're a Canuck. You're still a Leaf. You're even a Canadian. But the senator part? I was like, here's the capital city, and the name of your team is the Senators. First of all, that's not an Ameri- That's not a Canadian law of office. We don't have senators. So first of all, you're already like, okay, what does this mean? Secondly, we don't need to be reminded about the government when you're watching sports. <laughs> so I, I brought this up, and these guys were like, Oh, so that's why you think we're hating? I'm like, I don't know. People just, they just, they call them the Sens. Maybe because they don't want to really, they don't like that name. And you know what? There's a lot in name in sports. There is. People might not want to admit it, but at the end of the day, sometimes people gravitate to a color of a school, of a uniform or a name that rolls off the tongue. It's like a rapper. It's like a rapper. You say Jay-Z, that's it. You say Hove, you're in there. You know what I mean? If your name is like, you know, Mitzoplex, you might not have be on the top <laughs> top of the hits as quick as someone named, you know, you know, Eminem. So my thing is is that I and so everyone bugged, they're like, Oh, you're looking too into it, you're reading too much into it. And I just thought it was funny that, you know, the senators have to be one of the only teams that people hate on, more so than the other Canadian teams. I, I don't know, I, maybe I'm wrong. I maybe think, I'm wrong. But this table and I, what I've seen over the last couple of weeks with this team is a lot of people, Canadians kind of being like not supporting them and kind of wanting them out. Like you even sat here like they got pumped though. They did get pumped, yeah. <laughs> like seven three and six two in the last two games. Like yeah. that's I you mean, know, but I, but they're playing against the greatest hockey player in the world, which is Sidney Crosby. So I mean it's like it's it's understandable because Sidney Crosby is on an, is in another world of for talent. Sure, for sure, for sure. But I just feel like you know, so that was a big thing at the table. But like again, that's how I see sports now. It's a chance to sort of bring it around to something more philosophical because <laughs> that it doesn't seem to have the depth of meaning that it did before. But as you know, people have said a million times, sports is a distraction for people Absolutely. to just get into it, and so it's all how you take it. People get really heated though. You know, oh man, really dude, people fight over sport. They yeah, fight like yeah, it's yeah. it's one it's one of the it might be the only unifier left. Certainly when it comes to. Like the Olympics, everybody is nationalistic because it's it's your it's your country and you're competing in a sport. Nobody's that nationalistic about artists right. or a painter right. or even a politician doing trying to do something. Um, I asked this question to Cardi when he was here. I'm gonna I'll close it with this. 
that uh, because you are you have so many uh, musical influences, I think this is right in your wheelhouse. Uh, Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters put together this documentary called Sound City. I heard about it. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I'd like to see it. And 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 uh, when you were talking about, uh, you'd mentioned um, uh, David Bowie rearranging the the musicians in his band. Uh, and you were talking about your um, someone that said you discovered distortion. I remember seeing that documentary called "It Might Get Loud" right. with Jimmy Page, The Edge, and uh, Jack White of the White Stripes. Right. All guitars, different eras. If they were to make a, uh, if a producer were to make a documentary with three eras of hip hop producers, much like the documentary "It Might Get Loud," who are the producers that you would like to see in a room talk about? The music, the impact, the craft. Well, it's mostly about the craft because they were just talking about the craft of 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 being of being guitarists and and chords and that sort of thing. Stuff that's beyond my comprehension, but I found it fascinating because I'm not a rock guy. Right. So he, so I'll give you I'll give you some uh, I'll give you some uh, some options for producers from different from the '80s era. You know, I'm already reading your thing and I already see a guy I'm gonna pick. But go ahead. Okay, but this because it's three different. Right. Okay, so so in the '80s, Rick Rubin for sure. I see that on your list. Sorry to. Do no, 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 that's cool. So so uh, okay, R okay, Rick. Rubin. I'll tell you why though when you come back. Okay. Okay. So okay, well, don't tell me that. Why not? Then Rick, we'll get into okay, the '90s well, and we'll get to all, the 2000s. First of all, Rick Rubin is a rock and roll producer and he was the first if you want to talk about black on blonde when he rolled oh, up yeah. when he rolled up with uh, Russell Simmons and created Def Jam that was the first rock and roll hip hop label ever and it was young guys in New York two guys from different cultures a black man and a Jewish man putting music together based on being punk rockers Rick Rubin is also the guy that had Jay-Z in the studio and said Jay-Z was rapping and he's like uh, if you're feeling you know I got 99 problems and ain't one and he, he looked at Jay-Z, he said, that's the chorus. There's a story that everyone knows about Rick Rubin is that on that song, he told Jay-Z, that's a good rap line, but you should make that the chorus. That's a dope producer. That is a dope he, producer. He, he realizes that that's a hook. And he also told LL Cool J on the song, I'm going back to Cali. LL Cool J came in and said, I'm going back to Cali. He's like, no, 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 no. See how you know that song, I Need Love That You Did, where you're talking, rapping really soft? Rap that song like this. And so LL Cool J was like, I'm going back to Cali. Really? And he, and he Rick said, Rubin did that? Yeah, Rick Rubin That's pretty dope. inspired that. So to me, a producer is able to see a, an artist and bring out their strengths and create a sensibility that will allow their fans to appreciate another side of them. So Rick Rubin is the number one guy that should be in that room. Okay, so okay, so Rick Rubin is from the 80s era of, of producing uh, hip-hop. Okay, he's from the 90s. These are some, some names to consider. Don't have to be the, yeah. one of these guys. There's Dr. Dre. There's DJ Premier, Q-Tip, who we spoke about, the RZA, and Pete Rock. I'm gonna have to say Q-Tip, and I, and and only because Q-Tip. Those are all legends. I mean, all the all guys the that legend. we were talking about are all legends of of the of the art and the the culture of hip hop music. But Q-Tip is your guy because from I, the '90s. Because I think if you listen to bands like Diggable Planets, and then Fuji's wow. Fuji's, Q-Tip was started jazz. Q-Tip made jazz in hip-hop production. He brought in Ron Carter and got in certain live real drum guys, real real jazz guys. He's like a jazz dude. He reminds me of a guy that if he wasn't maybe in the 60s or 50s, he would have been a player of, of jazz music. And his production style is very, 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 very um, dissonant and jazz-oriented. So even though Pete Rock had a lot of horns in his music and the RZA created the first kind of like dirty punk rock, dirty sounding stuff and Premier was the first person to like chop up pieces of samples 
and make things. And Dre, of course, I mean, that's a tough one between Dre and Q-Tip. Dre is like just retarded. <laughs> but, 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 but. Well, Dre had a sonic boom to his so, music yeah, Dre, and that, that, that it had an attitude that, that enca- encompassed the whole side of a country. Like yeah, that. J, J, you were not going to find better sounding music than Dre's music. Right. But as far as a production style that influenced a lot of people, uh, you know, little people, you know, go go check out, grab up your Mob Deep records and go look at a song called Temperatures Rising. Look at a song called Drink Away the Pain. Those are Q-tip productions. So here you had this M- MC and a rapper who was from the native tongues and a conscious hip hop movement, but lending his production to gangster or underground beats as well. He's more versatile than everyone else. He would go do a track with Apache or Tribe called Quest. Or, do or do, Nas's One Love he did. Nas's One Love, or he would do stuff with, you know, at the time, uh, I forget that name, of the, the brand new heavies, and he'd do all this weird stuff. But then he's kind of the first Pharrell, and Pharrell will say that about him. Uh, and then he'd go and do Mob Deep tracks. And so Quiet is Kept, you wouldn't know he produced it, but he understood the sensibility of what it took from being from Queens for a young group to be sound dark in that way. And he, he got that. So I feel like he's probably the most versatile out of all those names you called. Kevin, when you say quiet is kept, what does that mean? It means that sometimes people don't like to admit that people can do a lot of things. And just because someone doesn't do something, they can't. So when I say quiet is kept, sometimes people don't like to actually say that. That behind, that they were on the same level and someone at Jive Zomba came to Q-Tip and said, we got these kids called Mob Deep and they need production. And Q-Tip took them underneath his wing and, and, made, and he wasn't a gangster but yet he was able to channel that. By all intents and purposes, people don't like to believe that a gangster guy is a gangster guy and a hippie flowery guy is a hippie flowery guy, and they don't cross-germinate. But that's not how the world works, you know? No, you, definitely not anymore. You know, so I, I feel like I, I relate to that because I can make music that has a darker tinge to it or sounds a certain way or is rock and roll, and it doesn't mean that I'm not somebody that's not a peace-loving person that will... It's a, that's also into hippie music, but I also feel like you should be able to. Do, if you're angry, you should be like you should be like a true artist. Should be like nature. You might rain and thunder in one second, and the next two seconds the sun is out. Right. You shouldn't just be like one thing. That's dope, man. Yeah. You feel like as I'm talking, I feel like and uh, now this. I hope this doesn't sound ridiculous, but you like uh, you feel kind of like Prince to me. Right. Well, and I certainly wouldn't wear a pants with no. No, well, not not Prince's <laughs> style, but like the uh, way that Prince, uh, Prince is a and and, and he's and he's and I guess he's famously eccentric. I'm not saying you're eccentric, but right. like you're like you just you're just so like original, and right. it's and you're just and you're so like it's like you know they that the expression off the beaten path or whatever right. like dog, but you're hovering over the woods. Like there's a be, there's a there's a there's the road, and then there's you you go through the forest, but you're just hovering over it. I mean, so uh, you're seeing different things. You're not you're not seeing from the ground. You're seeing like it's it's. And I know this doesn't make any sense, but I'm kind of like I'm. This is our first extended conversation for sure. So it's like my first time really kind of taking you in. So that this is like, and I know I hope this doesn't sound like ridiculous, but. I feel like you're floating over it and you're kind of, you're taking in a lot. You just, you had, your, you had an analogy about uh, artists as nature. So I was like, that's, that's Well, I think, I also think Canada, if anything, if we, if there's any intellectual legacy or intellectual property that people in Canada, artists should buy up, is the fact that we're only so, so many hundred years old and every yeah. person who is a, you know, black culture here or any ethnic culture, parents are probably from a different country. So we are the people that are creating the future, you know, uh, foundation of what 
culture is going to be, whether it's black or Lebanese or whatever, or Asian. So we're creating the mold, and that means it's open season. A lot of American artists have 400 years of slavery to represent, and they can't do certain things because they went through that experience. And they're 400 years in. That's a lot of culture. That's an accent. That's a way to walk. That's a yes, son. You know what I'm saying, son? Mm. That's like a, a way of being that if you deviate from that, everybody's going to be like, why do you talk like that, man? You know, you know, are you black? Like, what's up? You know? And so for me, I don't have any of those things. So call it intelligent or prince or whatever, but it's just basically I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> I'm, I'm what you call, I'm a very, I'm a convenient and a very, very, very exploitive a uh, person of a non-culture reality. I'm totally. I'm. I'm. A, I'm. A, I'm. A, I don't even know what that means. I'm, it means you just it said. Means, it, I'm it, like, means what it, the, it means what? that I'm very aware that we there's nothing out there yet to say that I can't do this or that. Oh, okay. So I. So okay. If there's not, why do it? Why? 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 I'm. You know, not not. Or why not? Well, not not if it's not not just saying Drake or anybody's, but you know, Drake's different because his dad's American. But like, if you're Canadian, why be American? You don't have to. There's no thing. Why, why, why walk down Richmond Street, wake up in the morning, and perceive yourself as a black American when, A, first of all, you're not that, and, B, you could be whatever you want and no one can say anything because yeah. there's been no mold. Yeah, you yeah, could probably yeah. make, if black Canadians were crazier and more eccentric, more money and stuff would be generated. If, if there was a Don Cherry of black people, that person would have so much swag <laughs> and money right now <laughs> that he would just be running things, but we're a bit afraid, so that's my point. Anyway, so... <laughs> So, getting back to our the, the this this <laughs> big up uh, Don speak, Cherry <laughs> speaking voice. The Don, the Don, the Don. Uh, if a producer was to make uh, a documentary like the documentary Mike It Loud, uh, which had Jimmy Page, The Edge, and Jack White all sit in a room and talk about being uh, talk rock, about rock and roll music and being guitarists, if he could put according to chaos, if he could put producers in the room to discuss hip-hop music so far he's got rick rubin who represents the 80s in hip-hop he's got q-tip who represents the 90s in hip-hop these are producers and in the 2000s who are of this short list who is the producer or just these these names to con consider who's the producer that you would put in this room to sort of complete this this trifecta of different pre creative minds we have pharrell as you just mentioned Timbaland and Kanye West all three producers who had who had like two or three years where their music dominated their sound dominated hip-hop in the 2000s well I'm gonna say Con I'm gonna say Kanye and amend someone else who's not on that list okay Kanye first because Kanye did something that was unprecedented when he came to Rockefeller he wasn't a rapper he was a producer and I feel like what he did and people didn't know about is that in making like you know, H to the Izzo, certain tracks for these dudes, and blowing up those tracks. He seeded the industry with his sound. So he already knew he wanted to rap, but he produced, you know, that's him on the chorus going, you know, on, on H to the Izzo. That's him, his voice. And his production style, although he was a producer, he would be in the studio with these dudes and, like, rapping or getting them excited and being part of the track as well. So by the time he came out, you were so used to the sound that he had, that you were like, oh, Pharrell did something similar, but people still more see him as a producer than a rapper. What Kanye did that was intelligent and he continues to do is put a sound out there and everyone cops his sound. They do it all the time. I've done it. Everyone does it. You, I, that, How you, have you do, done because it? Because, you know, I, you know, 
I know Kanye. I, you know, I have people that, you know, he came to Toronto one time and he was at Nomad, Goodfoot when it existed. And he was asking about me to the point where the dude at the store called me. He's like, yo, Kanye. Matt, Matt called you? Yeah. They were like, yo, come, come. I, it was Zebby at the time. Uh. And he said, come, yo, this dude keeps asking. I told him you live around the corner. Then he bugged. So could you just come over here for a sec? Came over. He's like, yo, man. Because I had seen him a couple years before and he had exit. He had that CD in his, his backpack. That's he, amazing. It was tattered. And he's like, every day, man. I listen to this every day. And I was like super flattered. And he was like, I go, so what's up? And he was just like, I'm working on this common record. And do you want to come to Chicago? Like, do you got beats? What do you got? And I just, I can't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't pursue it. Because I oh, felt, Kev. no, but hold on. But I feel like at the same time, I was like, yeah, you know, I did. I don't know why I didn't do it, but I didn't feel maybe it was ego. Whatever the whole point of why I'm bring, telling this story is, is that after I after that experience and seeing him do his thing and watching him literally take over the world, I became a super fan. I became like I was more of a fan of him when I saw him doing his craziness and George Bush doesn't like black people and all this stuff. Then then when the earlier stages when he was just a hip hop dude, I was like I thought he was cool, but when he started to actually assert his personality and speak out and just be what he was and be a little punk rock, I start to become a fan. And then I start to check his music and a lot of the stuff he was doing on the electronic level, um, maybe not the last record he did, but uh, not, not 808 and Heartbreak, but like some of the singles before that. Like I like the stronger thing he did with the Daft, Daft Punk. punk yeah. I like the song he did uh, with uh, the dude from Maroon 5. Oh, uh, What's that um, called again? it's a track two on, his, on the late registration. Um, uh, in the video, they're in Macy's and stuff. Yeah, what yeah. the hell was that called? Whatever again? that song is, I like that track. I like the produ- I like how on the song "Go with Common," that's like John Mayer going "Go." Yeah, I liked I like those little nuances that he started to put in his music that really reminded me of what we were doing up here in Canada, mixing the whole like rock situation with the hip hop situation. So that's when I started to realize, and then I heard Drake's record and all these rappers. Everybody was was kind of referencing Kanye. Kanye is sort of like. You know, again, quiet is kept because he's got such a huge ego. He's influenced everybody. And I feel like that's a real producer because it's not just someone rap. You can't tell that they're influencing him because it's from a production standpoint. It's the whole sound of it. It's like if he's if he builds houses and someone all of a sudden said, yeah, I'm going to put the terrace over here. I'm going to put the <laughs> pool here because I've seen six of Kanye's houses and I love the layout. Now, it's such a subtle thing that maybe if it becomes a thing, no one will be like attributed to him. No one will look at that that architect and go, you made it up. But there is a guy who probably made it famous and opened things up in a way where you could go, I like that layout. And Kanye has that layout. The other person I'm going to bring up, and this might not be a big fan of everyone, is Will I Am. And I'll tell you why. Because that guy is a re- sick, an amazing producer. He might not be the most, you know, you know, hot boy rapping over his tracks and the black IPs, everyone thinks it's corny, but listen to the production, turn his tracks up in your car. He has a song out right now called Bang. And it's like a video where he's kind of mixed that old Charleston dance with dance music. I mm-hmm. saw the video and I, I was like, this is amazing. And I, again, people are always like, you're like, well, I, you know, I know him pretty well too. So we always have this kind of weird funny thing where people go up to him and say, you guys look alike, et cetera, et cetera. And I've always sort of not liked that. So I would never go personally out there and say, this dude is dope. I don't really know about what he's talking about or if he has dope lyrics or whatever, but I know sonically his production is amazing. So those are the two guys. If you're putting people in a room. So I can only, but we can only put three guys. But okay, it, so it's going to be Kanye over where so, I am. So but, like, but, but if Kanye is, 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 is acting up and not showing up that day, <laughs> which he might. Right. I, We'll get Will I Am. (laughs) 
that that's amazing. Your anecdotes are unbelievable. So okay, so la- last question. By virtue of your your career and oh, I, wow, this is thank you for being this. We've had this like this is like marathon conversation. It's cool. I, I like to ask this in in these conversations. Who's the most famous person that you've met? Prince, probably. Um, Nelly Furtado was opening for Prince four years ago, and we're friends. And she said, "Yeah, Prince wants to meet you because his wife is a Jehovah's Witness. Prince is now a Jehovah's Witness. If anyone doesn't know that." So I said, well, what do you mean he wants to meet me? He's like, oh, well, after his show, he has a party, and that's why he invites guests back, and you're invited to this party. You're also invited to the show. So I went to the show at the Air Canada Center, took a couple of friends, uh, went back to, he, he had a party at Sea Lounge, and what he does is he plays his shows back to his band. He plays his show on a big screen, so everyone, could, everyone in the band can watch themselves, because he's very much of a, like, check yourself out, say how you did. So I'm walking around or whatever, and this lady's like, are you chaos? Yeah, I'm going to take you back to meet Prince. So, like, you know, I got a heart heart flutter. I was like, man, this dude's affected. This is the first, you know, guy with, like, on a motorcycle. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I was, like, I was like, okay, cool. So I go back there. He's in a red jumpsuit. <laughs> and he's Like a figure skater? Kind of, but it's kind of flared out. Okay. And, and he had, uh, and he had uh, I think, a leather jacket on top. And he was sucking on a red lollipop come on i'm telling you and he looks his eyes are huge he looks like an alien he's a pretty short guy but his eyes are so much bigger he and he's like he, he looks like a in those cartoons where they they turn a flower into a person he has these long eyelashes and you can see them blinking like he's like this other being i hope i'm explaining this right people um, and he's blinking at you, and you're, he's batting his eyebrows. This he's is like, unbelievable. But his voice is hella low. Yeah, it's super deep. He's like, what's up, man? And so he this this whole feminine thing, but then he starts speaking to you. He's like, yeah, my wife uh, really loves your music, and, uh, you know, I like that song, Superstar. Is that, is, uh, isn't that a Miles Davis sample? And he knew the sample that I was. He's like, you're doing, you know, you're, you're doing, I remember the time he was like, you know, he made some comment about Little X, who's a good homie of mine. He's like, Little X is a music video director yeah, from he, Toronto. He, He's done a ton of hip hop videos. Yeah, Usher, and yeah. That. And he just said that guy's an amazing guy, but you know, don't get caught up in the American thing. You know, don't do that. And you know, whatever, whatever. You know, Little X has also directed two of my videos and is my homie. So this isn't a diss, but he was kind of trying to say, I like the fact that you're not, you're Canadian and you're staying Canadian and you're not gravitating to America. So we start speaking, and he was like, you know, start. So gradually, then Larry Graham who's his bass player came up, quite, again, not quite as kept on this case, but it might be, it behooves me to say that Larry Graham is Drake's uncle, Drake Graham. Larry Graham is a bass player from Sly and the Family Stone, and he plays bass in Prince's band, and that's the brother of Drake's dad. So they come from a musical family. Point is, Larry Graham comes up, he's like, hey, how, how you doing, brother? And so I know Larry Graham's a Jehovah's Witness, so I'm like, oh, I see what's going on here. This is like a religious intervention kind of, and then Larry Graham's wife came up and said, oh, hey, how you doing? Mrs. Graham, whatever. He's like, I heard you. So your parents are Jehovah's Witnesses. What congregation are they in? So now I'm surrounded by these musicians that are legends, but they're all Jehovah's Witnesses. So after about five minutes of talking, Prince comes out. He's like, so you grew up as a Jehovah's Witness? I'm like, yeah. He's like, why are you no longer active? And I said, well, you know, my dad was an elder. You know that, right? He's like, Larry, I heard Larry Graham said, yeah, we heard that. And they're looking at me for this big thing of like my music's positive and I'm this, but why am why am I not a Joe's Witness? And I said, Well, I pointed to all of them. I go, Did you grow up as a Joe's Witness? Prince shook his head, No. I go, Did you grow up as a Joe's Witness? No. I I go, I did. So I'm just finding my own path, you know. 
And they're like, what do you mean by that? I was like, well, sometimes when you grow up in something, you don't get a choice to make to, to be a part of it. And it, t- t- religion is something that you should choose. It, I'm not saying that if you want to live your life and your parents are Jewish or Muslim, that you can't grow up and continue to be that. But in my case, my parents were not Jehovah's Witnesses for most of their lives. And then at 27, my dad was like, I'm going to become one, which just means he celebrated Christmas. He listened to music. He wind down some ghouls at a party. <laughs> he smoked his joints. He did whatever he wanted to do. And when he turned 27, he said, nope, I'm not doing this anymore and became a Jehovah's Witness. I didn't have a chance to make that choice. So Prince is like, so what you're saying is you need to go through what your father. I said, I didn't say that. I just said, it's interesting that you were Prince. You 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 had a great life. You 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 made this choice based on the fact. He's like, yeah, my mother was a Jehovah's Witness, you know, and I, it was it's been like this all the time. But he didn't want to hear what I was having to say. He got kind of, and at some point, he actually started to not be interested in what I was saying because I wasn't just listening. I was like, no, you gotta understand. I'm telling you that if you grew up as a Jehovah's Witness, you see the religion differently. So finally, he said, we got started to get started to get heated. Really, I, I started to get a little heated, and I I must have announce pronounce something and like some of the saliva went like fell on his face and he took his pinky finger and like removed the saliva from his face like okay now you're, you're now you're getting a little and that was it he was kind of like okay you're getting super excited but i was getting so high but i felt so dis i'm like did i accidentally like spit on <laughs> prince's face <laughs> no but that's what and so i was like that's how he made it look. But it, in conversation, it happens when people... He didn't have to really alert it to that, but he's such an intelligent being that he was kind of kind of making that statement. And it was really subversive, and I'm an artist too, and I know what you're trying to say. And it kind of got me heated for a bit. But the whole point about it is, is that he said, all right, well, you know what? You're a good guy. So I want you to take your, your wraps or your backpack or whatever, and I want you to go to Paisley Park Studios where, you know, just go down, tell him I sent you, I'll verify it, and just go make a record, and I want you to own it. And the whole conversation shifted from a religious one, which I really respect, to him saying, you need to get off the plantation. You know, if, if, I, if I'm on your record, I don't want, you know, I don't want your label owning it. They can't put it out. And he just went on this whole crusade about a record companies like FedEx. He said, they just deliver the package. They don't need to know what's in it. They, well, they do need to know the weight, but they don't control how it is. And that's what your label should be. They deliver your package. And I just, it was so intelligent. If we'd spend more time talking about that, I was so enlightened by the last 10 minutes of the conversation. And we exchanged numbers and he would, I would get, it, was, it wasn't his number, it was his dude's number. But he was like, yo, Prince is, he's still about this thing. And, Gradually, I just like the like the Kanye thing. I just lost interest because I was like, you know what, it didn't feel right. And and then I I remember talking to India Ari, who's a, a mutual friend of both of us, a couple weeks later, and she called me and she's like, you met Prince, huh? I'm like, how did you know? I go, he told me. I'm like, what did he say? What did he say? <laughs> he said, that brother asked a lot of questions. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was like, how did he say it? He's like, yeah, he was kind of like whatever, but. He, he he's Prince, and I don't. I know you well, and I know you're not the guy. You probably asked more questions than the average person about what he was saying, where people maybe just listen. And I'm like, blame, blame that on Canada, man. We're just again, it's a whole non-star system thing. I was really interested to find out what he had to say, but I wasn't interested in being talked to. But to this day, you know, he came to Vancouver and he called me up. Well, his his man called me up and said, "Yo, Prince wants to rock with you. Can you come on stage?" You know, he, he I was on tour one time. I was doing a show in like Sudbury, and my 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 agent was like, "Prince wants you to open for him at Rogers Stadium in in Vancouver." I go, "Let's do it." He's like, "You're playing Sudbury." I go, "Let's do it." He's like, "You can't get out of that. You're playing a gig." I'm like, "Man," and I'm sitting in Sudbury that night, going, "I love you, people, Sudbury, but you know what? I wish I could be." Which led to me flying to Vancouver the next day when the tour was over. A couple of days later, and. uh 
he was doing a he stayed there a couple of days and did a, like a little in-house thing at at a, a local bar and I went there and we hung out. So, you know, he's he's a he's a friend. I would say he's someone that's sort of a mentor, but that was sort of like the most stunning meeting. It's interesting you said Prince earlier on because he is probably the guy that I met that affected my mentality the most. And he kind of emasculates you musically because he's like one of the best. He's one of the Beethovens or whatever, you know, you know, whatever, Stravinsky's of our time. And yeah. 100 years from now, people are going to look at him like that. So that I think was, they already do. Yeah, they already do. But I mean, it's going to be more so when they can't just access him, when he can't just show and Jimmy Fallon and wreck a guitar. <laughs> Man, this was uh, right now. I'm currently getting texts from everybody that's like, "Are you coming?" Okay, no, yeah, okay, everyone's you... meeting for dinner at seven, and I'm no there. But okay, I no, love, you... I, I'm ha- no, this is this is amazing. It's like I, I'm so happy. Th- no, this is more amazing. I'm for a me. big, I'm and a big fan of yours as well. I'm a so huge I, fan of yours, Kevin. Yeah. Uh, I, I Shout out Kim. Matt Babel that brought us together. That that's one true. So that's true. I wouldn't know if it wasn't for Matt Babel. Shout out to Babel who's uh, in New York working at uh, Fuse TV doing. Uh, I think he's doing a music show with a few other people. I think uh, and actually there's a, a old producer from Much Music who's uh, producing that show. Anyway, shout out to Matt Babel and um, shout out to Chaos who. Uh, Came down and and you guys listening. That was just like uh, two hours of just. Uh, it was I was in school. It was like an education. So I appreciate that. Um, and on Twitter, uh, maybe one of you guys listening will be the second person that he follows. Huh. It's at Chaos Inception. Are you on uh, Instagram also? Instagram. It's Trudeau, but T R O T R U D O H. I'm a huge Pierre Trudeau fan. So. Shout out to well, shout out to Pierre Trudeau because in in the seventies he opened up Canada's borders and that's how our parents immigrated to a lot of our not I mean For a lot sure. of people from the West Indies in, immigrated to Canada because the they they were able to 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 choose um, to come here freely and and uh, and that was a big part of uh, how Pierre Trudeau is like hey immigrants build nations and no doubt about it they're building this one uh, in Canada again thank you I can't thank you enough thank you for coming by. And I hope you guys enjoyed this edition of Cabbie Presents. We will be back soon. For your man Chaos, I'm Cabbie, and we gone. Thank you for listening to Cabbie Presents, the podcast.